So for everyone watching, you see that there's nothing to watch. I'll pull up a camera so you can at least see my stupid face, whoever's watching. Um, wait, I don't think. Yeah, I can... well, I mean, you can at least get, uh, you can record your video and we can uh, you'll have reactions. I mean, because there's not a lot of action on either end. Obviously. Yeah, yeah. For everyone watching, yeah, there we go. I pulled up at least pulled up my image so you can see something, some my my ugly mug. But um, for everyone listening or watching or trying to watch, there's nothing to watch because Zoom and Skype are shit in the bed, and we think it's Rogers in the New Orleans area, and we think that it's all the kids going back to school. So uh, and then not going back to school and using Skype and Zoom to do their audio. So we're going Apollo 13 on this bitch. Got like four applications open. We're stringing this thing together. But fuck it, the show goes on. <laughs> so let's do this, bitch. All right. Roger Williams, episode 201. We are talking about the occult and all things metaphysical and superstitious and spiritual and new age and everything. Yes. We, uh, what I'm talking about is a broad area of uh, phenomena which can be described by the very technical umbrella term woo. Yes, yes. <laughs> is, is, it, now is, that, is that W-O-O or W-U? No, it's W-O-O. It's a derisive term used yeah. by uh, scientific uh, yeah. materialists yeah. to describe anything that uh, doesn't seem to work under the rubric of physics and math and all. Yeah. Um, so, so anyway, um, I am not actually an expert on any of the things that I'm going to talk about. I've studied them enough to bring them under an umbrella of broad commonality that I think uh, – gives me an understanding of how they might be working. Mm -hmm. But the if they're working, if they're not some kind of illusion, then it has vast implications for how the universe is actually working. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll get into that uh, once I get to play some of the groundwork. Okay. Um, but what will happen is I'm going to get into trouble because somebody will disagree with just about everything that I'm about to say. Um, such as life. Yeah. Um, now, and uh, and this is something that also didn't work too well for me when I was writing for Corrosion because that place was infested with fundamentalist materialists. Mm -hmm. And whenever I would try to do any kind of exploration of something that might imply uh, that the universe isn't a pure swarm of particles, then uh, I would get jumped on. Yeah. And uh, there's a tension between skepticism and credulity uh, that – pervades uh, society in its entirety. And most people tack hard to one or the other uh, end of that spectrum. Um, now, I prefer the viewpoint of Robert Anton Wilson, which is very rare uh, because he professed not to believe in anything okay. because, because he said beliefs imprison you. And once you decide you believe in something, then you are closed off to the possibility that you might be wrong. And he was very open about the, the fact that he was interested in occult and weird stuff. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, he wrote the Illuminatus trilogy, which you should really check out if you get a chance, because I know you like conspiracy theories and all. And it is a mammoth uh, – overall theory of conspiracy theories driving the entire history of the enlightenment and uh modern uh society yeah. um but then he wrote a series of thinner books uh called cosmic trigger cosmic trigger 
one, two, and three, which are autobiographical and in which he tries to lay together a, a, it's partly a tie-in of his own life with the mythology that he created for the Illuminatus trilogy and partly uh, an exposition of how he got into this headspace of taking all this stuff so seriously and finding it so interesting. Um, The thing about that middle ground is it pisses off everybody. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Because the skeptics think you're being too credulous and the believers think you're being too skeptical. And uh, it's funny because everybody has their little uh, rat holes they go into. Um, the, the skeptics will brush off a lot of the stuff that they observe personally that really doesn't seem right with uh, it being your subconscious. And that is a rabbit hole that goes almost infinitely deep because you end up ascribing all kinds of superhuman powers to this subconscious thing in order to explain why weird stuff happens instead of just admitting that weird stuff is happening maybe because the universe permits weird stuff to happen Um, and on the other end you've got people who believe in specific things i've met people who believe in astrology but not anything else you know they think that's a science but all the others all those other guys are idiots you know Uh, and and you see those in each corner you've got people who believe in their religion uh, but don't believe in any other metaphysical phenomenon including anyone else's religion of course um so uh it's it's a it's a big 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 topic and most people don't even realize how big it is whether they whether you believe in it or not it's something that pervades human experience it's a universal experience almost everybody has had an experience that makes you step back and go how the hell did that happen yeah um it's 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 the exception to be uh, so immune to this that you have never experienced anything that makes you doubt uh, the nature of reality. So the way I was, I mean, uh, my wife and I were both educated in the sciences. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we had a fairly hard science background when we met and got together. But we were drawn into this by our interest in gemstones, and uh, by which I don't mean things like diamonds and and, uh, precious stones, but semi-precious gemstones and mineral specimens. We, uh, by this day, we have a fairly impressive collection, which uh, even if the camera was working, I had no intention of trying to show because showing them through a webcam don't work. Yeah, it's yeah. just not very impressive. But uh, when we had only been uh, going together for a couple of years, uh, a guy started a rock shop near where we lived. And we uh, started frequenting the place because there are no rocks in Louisiana, in southern Louisiana, because we live on an alluvial river plain, and the Mississippi River dumps sediment, which pushes the crust down. And if there ever was any bedrock here, it has long ago been pushed into the mantle and melted away. Mm-hmm. So, uh, my wife was actually a geophysicist for a few years, and so she read the acoustic. Uh, uh, readings that they do in order to, to draw the maps they use to, to search for petroleum mm-hmm. and she said if you look at these uh underground uh returns the whole thing is layers of sand and shale all the way down to the mantle so there's 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 no bedrock in just, the new orleans area 
<laughs> okay. All right. So there are no so there are no rocks. In fact, the the locals who actually the only way to go looking for rocks in the natural environment in this area is to search the river for uh, old uh, ballast dumps mm-hmm. where where ships arrived with ballast in their hulls and dumped it so that they could take on cargo. Yeah. And so you sometimes find these on the levee batchers and all. Yeah. So uh, this guy started a rock shop and there were no others that uh, were available to us in the area. So we started frequenting it and he was it was a new age rock shop though. He his uh, big interest was in gems gems and minerals but in their metaphysical properties and he also had books and other materials that were more about the metaphysical properties of other things and and uh, other other uh, types of magic and divination and we sort of fell in with the crowd that hung around the shop and we were polite about uh, you know being somewhat skeptical but also not shitting on what they believed mm-hmm. because they were our friends mm-hmm. um, and uh, so we started collecting literature and books about their various things, in particular things like crystal power and all, because we were trading. And what re- where it really took off uh, as far as us having to try and take it seriously and learn the lore was a company called Astro Minerals in New York City. Uh, their proprietor died. And he had spent his life shipping things back to New York City from all over the world. And when he died, they had a skyscraper basement full of rocks. Okay. And and no one knew what any of them were. So what the heirs decided to do was to sell the whole kitten caboodle for a dollar a pound. <laughs> we don't know what it is. If we see an obvious diamond, we'll pull it out. But for the most part, whatever the mix is, you're just going to get out, you know, a dollar a pound, whatever. Yeah. So we bought a 50-pound test box just to see what sort of things we might be getting. And it contained a seven-pound chunk of labradorite, which is a specific type of feldspar that occurs mostly in Newfoundland, the mm-hmm. grade that we got. And at the time, that stuff was going about $40 a pound in the quality that we got. So right there, yeah. So we bought a drum, 500 pounds. And it was so full of goodies, we bought some more drums. And we ended up with about 10,000 pounds of the stuff in our backyard. And uh, these were not like display specimens. These yeah. were mainly chunks that had been brought out of mines yeah. and quarries and such. So they needed to be worked. Uh, they needed to be slabbed and cut uh, and then uh, made into cabochons or faceted or whatever other kind of work you would do with them. Some people carve them. Uh, we had a bunch of really nice soapstone that we ended up selling to a sculptor uh, and uh, we ended up unloading a lot of it on eBay uh, back when eBay was friendly to individual sellers uh, and it was uh, a real neat thing because we would go to gem and mineral shows and trade with the other dealers and get stuff to, for our collection that we didn't have and in the course of all of this of course we had to learn the lore behind the gemstones it's like mm-hmm. uh, this you know bloodstone is supposedly good for uh, health problems particularly female health problems that's a type of agate that's dark green but it looks like it's flecked with little specks of blood mm-hmm. uh, bits of red uh, aventurine is a green quartz mineral that has bits of mica in it so that it shines mm-hmm. and it's considered useful for attracting money uh, so we started learning this stuff and and of course crystals so we uh, started reading uh, the books about crystal power was one of the fads at the time this mm-hmm. was in the mid 80s mm-hmm. um, and one of those books gave the challenge it said if you you're skeptical about this stuff 
be fair and at least try it. Don't just say this can't possibly work yeah. because everyone who uses it went through a phase when they, but if you try it, you might be surprised. Okay. And so that was what we did. And we were surprised. Okay. All right. All right. I'm, I'm buckled up. Let's do it. So that was how we got pulled into the new, the new age stuff. And it was like, they challenged us try an experiment, try a divination uh, device, uh, because those are easy, and see if what if, if your experience makes it seem like something is happening or not. Uh-huh. And we did, in fact, get some really hard to explain results if you don't believe in woo. Yeah. So um, that brings me to divination devices. This is the first class of things that I'll talk about. Uh, Divination is uh, the act of posing a question to some force in the universe and uh, interpreting the answer that you receive as as advice or as a warning or uh, just as a description of how how things are going for you and, uh, and so on. And Divination is universal. Even people who don't realize they're doing it are doing it. Uh, there's a folk, there are folk methods. Uh, like in parts of Appalachia, it's common for people to open the Bible to a random page mm-hmm. when they're in trouble or have a question. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's divination. You're doing something random and then seeing if the result gives you something useful. Yeah. Uh, one of the most ancient forms is scrying. S C R Y ing, which is staring into a thing that's blank until you get a vision, okay. which you will. The nervous system will eventually fill in blanks with yeah. random crap. That is a biological uh, thing. And so when a fortune teller is staring into the crystal ball, that's scrying. Mm-hmm. But uh, other people will hold a stone up to their eye or they'll stare into the darkness or or into a candle flame. Yeah. Uh, and and we didn't. Yeah, we, we didn't really do that because we wanted to see something that clearly had some kind of sense of order that we could record. And thus was evidence that something was going on because let's face it, if you have a vision and it turns out to be interesting, is that your quote subconscious unquote, or mm-hmm. is it something outside of you? You can't really establish anything that way. Yeah. Um, Robert Atten Wilson himself in cosmic trigger suggests penniomancy. And this is a thing. It's uh, divination by paying attention to found change. Oh, I was about to say, that's my my grandma, my mom. It's always, yeah, you find a penny, and if it has, like, the date of the birth year of, like, a past individual, then it's that person looking after you, right? It's, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so uh, a number of people uh, have, have mentioned that people who do the experiment, and it's a very easy thing to do because you just start – paying more attention than usual to change that might be lying around. And they report finding vast, stupidly huge amounts of random change lying around like they never noticed before yeah. and much more meaningful than they ever expected. Um, now, there's no formal system of penny penniomancy. So what you do is when you start getting coins and point, you start asking yourself, is this a pattern? Is there something about the name of the street I was walking down or the date on the coin or, the, you know, and other stuff like that, the, you know, the denomination? And, you know, does the, is there some chance this means something uh, 
to my immediate uh, circumstances. And like a lot of divination devices, the suggestion is that the oracle will teach you its language. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you will start noticing patterns that recur, and they will uh, basically uh, make sense when you interpret them according to what you've done in the past. So we didn't do Pentiomancy because we had already started with the tarot before we re- before we read Cosmic Trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another one of uh, another folk method is dowsing. Uh, Water dowsing. You know, looking. Well, water dowsing is only one form of dowsing. Uh, people douse for everything that you might need that's lost. Okay. So, uh, yeah, there are people who douse for lost objects. They, you know, they, they, they say the dowsing isn't just for water, which puts – and again, you know, the, the skeptics will say, well, there might be some undiscovered thing with electric fields or something that mm-hmm. causes you to react to the presence of water. But that's not real helpful as far as how you can douse for your lost car keys yeah. and, and shit like that. Yeah. So – so anyway, that brings me to the tarot, which is a deck of cards. And I was going to show you a few of them, but the camera is not cooperating. And I'm not sure how well it would cooperate, even if it was working. Um, but, uh, of course, the tarot is a deck of 78 cards. And 56 of them are the minor arcana. And they strongly resemble a deck of playing cards. Uh the suits are different instead of uh diamonds and clubs and so forth you have pentacles and swords uh and uh wands and uh, and instead of a jack you have a princess and a queen so there uh is one extra card per suit so that's why you have 56 instead of 52. Okay. and this minor arcana deck is shuffled in with a major arcana which is a deck of 22 cards that are numbered 0 through 21. Okay. The zero the zero card is the fool, and it shows this happy-go-lucky guy walking along the edge of a cliff with his bag over his shoulder, like he's he's out on the starting the journey of life and doesn't have a fucking clue what he's doing. <laughs> okay. And and card twenty-one is the world, okay. which shows a nude woman doing this kind of yoga posture thing, but it basically represents getting everything you want and need. Okay. So. Uh, in between, there are cards representing figures who might be people you'll meet or encounter. Uh, one of them might be you, you might realize as you're do, doing readings. Uh, and some of them are situations. There is a death card. Most people don't realize, though, that getting the death card in a reading is not considered a bad thing because the death card in the tarot means a change of phase. It's the death of one thing, but also the birth and resurgence of another. So uh, getting the death card in the course of a reading could mean that something bad is coming to an end and you're gonna enter a new phase of your life. The rest of the cards in the reading will clue you in on things like that. And the card you really don't wanna get though is the tower. Okay. And it, sh- it shows this medieval tower being struck by lightning and shattered and bricks falling and people tumbling to their deaths as, as, as the as the tower falls over and the tower means shattering change that's the card you really don't want to see in a reading so anyway how you do a tarot reading is obviously you shuffle the deck and you lay the cards out in a pattern and there are different patterns that have different meanings for the cards and the positions one of the simple layouts is just the three card the uh, you lay out three cards one for the past one for the present and one for the future and you're sort of asking the deck where you are and where you're going and where you've been and uh it's a simple quick thing that you can do i mean some people just do the daily card 
they'll just draw a card every morning. Um, what most people do and what we mostly did is the Celtic cross, which is a 10 card reading. Uh, there's two cards that are crossed, one horizontal, one vertical on top of one another. Uh, then there's four cards above, below to the left and right. Uh -huh. And then there's four cards on the right and what I call the vertical column. And each of those positions has a meaning. Okay. So the combination of which position the card is in and what card you get conveys a lot of information. Okay. This is something that skeptics always fuck up when they talk about uh, the occult and, and stuff is that they like they like to think that things are vague and they're not. Mm -hmm. uh, a, a typical Celtic cross reading uh, will generate several pages as you interpret it of notes. Uh, just, well, this card probably refers to that and all. And what's striking about it, well, it, there's... There's also, the, uh, the, I mentioned the personalization of interpretation. There was a real interesting thing that happened when we started doing tarot readings. Uh, one of the things in the books you read will be some will advise you that it reverses the meaning of a card if it comes out of the deck upside down, okay. if it's inverted. Others will say that doesn't matter. And what we found, what the deck itself seemed to tell us was that the major arcana mattered. They, if, if a major arcana card was inverted, we had to invert its meaning. We, it, it reversed its, its, its meaning. But the minor arcana didn't. Okay. Which was funny because the deck that we used has pictures on the minor arcana just like on the major arcana. The, the artist decided to draw this. Why we like the Barbara Walker tarot is that she drew a, a symbolic picture on all 78 of cards, which made it easier to interpret because you could see, oh yeah, well that's what the Eight of Pentacles means. Okay. Um, but, but if you think about it traditionally, they're like playing cards. And, and in fact, there are people who use playing cards for divination very similarly to the tarot. But a lot of playing card decks are symmetrical. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't yeah. matter whether the card is right side up or upside down yeah, by yeah, design. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So so what we found is that our readings made the most sense if we interpreted them as if inverted major arcana mattered and inverted minor arcana didn't. And that was something that the deck itself seemed to be telling us. Okay. And and this is, of course, the other thing that uh, the skeptics like to say is, well, all the you know, it, it, there's there's so many symbols in there that, that that it doesn't matter what you get any reading can be interpreted to mean something meaningful yeah yeah that, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah and that's bullshit too um, because there's a phenomenon every, any tarot reader will tell you called going random which uh, is when the deck seriously tells you we've we've had enough quality time together stop bothering me and the readings just stop making sense. It is very striking when that happens, it's, uh, and it it's the, and it never happens. Sorry, go ahead. It, it's the no finger. Yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. Yeah, question. Yeah, it's uh, it's when you're ready, the guru will appear. When you're truly ready, the guru will disappear. Yeah, and and the thing with the the, the tarot is it was apparently invented as a teaching oracle it what it's trying to do is guide you to a uh a level of intuition where you won't need it anymore yeah and uh this is in striking contrast to the other divination device that we played with which was the yi king and uh the the yi king is of course uh 
ancient Chinese book. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been a couple of different versions, but the method that we use, there, there is a method that's used in temples that involves yarrow sticks that's very complicated. The priests used to do yiking readings. And there's a simple method that involves throwing three coin, uh, flipping three coins six times. Yeah. And the patterns of heads and tails will draw either uh, six lines, each of which is either solid or broken, and each of which is either fixed or changing. And if you get any changing lines, then you get two hexagrams. You get the one with the fixed lines the same as the original and with the changing lines flipped. Okay. And when that happens, you, you're, you're getting uh, the current hexagram and the future hexagram. Basically, it's, it's the change that's occurring because the whole book is about changes and you know, it's the book of changes. And the reason that there is a book of changes is that is the people who developed it think change is bad. Yeah. Change is dangerous and to be avoided and you need to be warned if, you, if you're in, at risk of it. So... Uh, the Yi King had a very noticeably authoritarian personality. Uh, it was very uh, dismissive of people that it thought might be exceeding their station, mm-hmm. and including us, it made quite clear. Okay. Um, because it, it, it thought that I, you know, by trying to understand things that were above my station and, and make sense of all this, I was uh, putting myself in a place where I didn't belong. Um, the uh, other thing about the E-King is that uh, as far as it didn't just go random, there is a hexagram called youthful folly. Okay. And whenever the E-King was tired of talking to us, we would get that hexagram. It was like that the prevalence of youthful folly in our readings, it was one of the great probability weird outs in that notebook. Uh, so anyway, like I said, the E King was kind of suspicious and didn't really want to deal with us that much, and it was very clear. And of course, the skeptics would say that's because that's the way the book is written, right? You know, it was written by uh, uh, royalty, and the way that it was handed down uh, is you know meant to favor preserving power structures and whatever. You know, because because change is bad, and so changing the government is bad. Changing anything yeah. uh, is dangerous. Yeah, but. Uh, that was true. It was suspicious of us and dismissive until I bought it a computer. Okay. I bought it, and I was going to show you the computer that I bought the Yi King. It's a Tandy handheld computer from the uh, mid to late 80s. And the only thing I ever used it for is I wrote a program to automate the change, uh, the conversion of the coin tosses into the hexagrams. It had a little receipt printer. And so I wrote a program that I could just go HHT. HTH, TTT for heads and tails six times, and the computer would work out the hexagram, both of them, if there were any changing lines. And also it would uh, cross-reference and tell me the king-win hexagram number, because even though the hexagram is a binary code, in the king-win edition uh, of the E-King, he scrambled them. Okay. So they're not in the order of the binary code that the, that the hexagram lines represent. And so when I first ran the program and, and you know, asked the king, is, is this a favorable thing that I just did? It was kind of, uh, its response was kind of strange. It was like something like, you know, the great man checks his work or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I was like, it's almost like it's telling me there's a bug in the program. 
So I went and I double checked my work and sure enough, there was a bug in the program. So I fixed it and I asked again. And this time it was like effusive in its praise. The great man has magnanimous good fortune. Blah, I mean, and after that, its whole attitude changed. Okay. I mean, this is a thing that comes through. You can read our notebooks yeah, yeah, from yeah. when we... <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's not entirely... I mean, sorry, sorry to interrupt. The SR-71 pilots, they all said that each plane had its own personality, more so than any other plane they'd ever flown. They said they had personalities, they had good days, bad days, they had attitudes. Sometimes they'd be really cuddly, they'd be loving and purr. Other times they'd be pissed off at you. But I mean, these are, <laughs> these are chunks of metal. But they're like, no, sometimes when, you know, they're like, I would never even be afraid when I was flying them because I knew she didn't want to be shot down that day. And these are the best pilots in the U.S. Air Force, right? And it's these guys aren't, yeah, you know, again, yeah, it's, sorry, go on. Oh, no, that, that, that is a perfect uh, example, too. And, and this is a sense where, like I say, these, these phenomena are universal, even among people who don't realize they're doing them. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you get things like that. You get people who think that they got a message from grandma warning them about something. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, there, there are all kinds of examples. Uh, Another one that uh, is kind of hard to explain is in the 1880s, I think, there was a book published called The Wreck of the Titan about a shipwreck. And the parallels between this fictional story that was published decades earlier oh, yeah. and The Wreck of the Titanic. Yeah, yeah, are, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's just stunning. That it's and, and you can almost tell the limits of the guy's vision, the dream that he woke up from where he was seeing the ship sink beneath the waves and the people screaming and how and how he reconstructed it with the differences from the real thing because he, he just got this glimpse maybe. Yeah. And, and yeah. it makes perfect sense if you look at it that way and it's kind of hard to explain if you don't. So this brings me to a digression where I want to discuss how this shit works. If, if we accept it, mm -hmm. Okay, uh, the science does tell us a remarkably consistent story that is that is consistent to great precision and over vast distance and time scales. Uh, when we look at the spectra of different quasar of quasars at mm -hmm. the edge of the universe, uh, those spectra tell us that the laws of physics are exactly the same as they are here on the surface of the earth. Billions of years ago, billions of light years away, uh, that the subatomic particles had the same properties, the forces had the same values, everything worked exactly the same. Because if anything was even slightly different, those spectra would be completely different. Yeah. They, are they are sensitively dependent on the, the values of what uh, physicists call the magic numbers, the the properties of the universe that, that seem to be fundamental and don't seem to have any relationship to one another. They're just fundamental properties of the universe yeah. whose values cannot be explained. They just are. Yeah. But the universe tells us with great consistency that it is made of this enormous swarm of particles that are in turn made of particles. Mm -hmm. So the, the universe as we can observe it is filled with these uh, matter islands called galaxies which are made up of particles called stars and planets which are made up of particles called atoms which are made up of particles called protons neutrons and electrons which are made up of particles called quarks so at any scale you look at it the universe is mostly empty space with a bunch of dust in it 
Uh, and it tells us this at every level, at every scale, and no matter what we do, it is completely consistent. Mm -hmm. So if you think about, say the tarot really is answering my questions. How does this work? A tarot card is an informationally enormous thing if it is made out of atoms. If you imagine that the universe is a computer and that things can be edited by a sufficiently uh, by, by someone with the sufficient security privileges, changing the position of a tarot card in a deck of cards would be just a stupidly massive undertaking. It, it, it's just you wouldn't expect a thing like that to be possible, even for a being that had every access in the world, because it would involve doing so many operations to move so many particles around. It, it just doesn't make sense. What, what, do but, you, what do you, can you clarify that? What do you mean? Change the, like, what do you mean? Okay, well, suppose there really is a force in the universe which would have to be conscious because it understands your question. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's sentient. Okay. First of all, that's the thing. There is a there is a sentient force mediating this phenomenon. That is true of all woo phenomenon, in yeah. fact. Uh, is so there are these sentient forces. Some maybe it's God, maybe it's your subconscious, but yeah. there's a force that yeah. can understand your question and decides. Okay, to answer this question, these are the cards that need to come out of the uh, out of the tarot deck in this order. Okay. How does it make that happen? Okay. What I'm saying yeah. is if the universe is really made of atoms, then that would be almost impossible. Even if you had some magic uh, capability to move particles around without following the laws of physics, actually shifting the positions of cards in a deck like that around would just be uh it's impossible to even consider how you would go about doing it because you got to remember too in that model there's no commonality to the to the atoms and molecules and particles that make up a particular tarot card yeah. there's nothing linking them together as an object yeah they're just you would have to figure out which ones to move to put that card in the position you want and somehow get it where you want and make room for it and all this that would be an enormously complicated thing and you know and the same thing is true to a lesser degree but just as much really if you look at it mathematically of influencing how the coins you flipped fall so it's really you know the the whole thing really doesn't make any sense if the universe is what physics tells us it is yeah you know the 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 physicists are correct and uh to to criticize it as being stupid because if the universe is really made of that many particles connected by such uh constant simple rules mm -hmm. then just figuring out which ones to move around to get to, to create a result like that would be an almost impossible task and, uh, yeah it would have to be god it would have to be prime intellect right yeah and, and 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 in fact that's pretty much the situation in in between the night of miracles and the change mm -hmm. in the novel mm -hmm. but what i started to, and, and you also have to remember when i was uh doing all this stuff this was in between having the idea and figuring out how to write prime intellect yeah. so this oh, all this, of this, this tarot thought, card this tarot card stuff was happening while you were writing mopey well, while I was not knowing how to write Mopey. Okay. All right. Because so, I, 
because I had the idea in 1982, but I couldn't figure out how to write the novel until 1994. Okay. So in between, I was doing all this thinking about how the universe works, and uh, that informed the universe of the novel a lot. Okay. For, for everybody listening, what we're talking about, Mopi, M-O-P-I, Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, that's my favorite book. It's a book Roger Williams authored, and it's how we, it's how we actually, it's how, it's how I got him on the podcast. So just a little asterisk <laughs> for everybody listening. So that, it, yeah, there's some meta, there's some meta like ripples here. Okay. Okay. So, so I started asking myself, if there is some kind of abstraction going on, if the universe is somehow simplified to the point where this is possible, how did that happen, and what is the nature of that simplification? Yeah. Now, I know that you play video games, yeah. and you know that the video game universe is not made of atoms. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's made of more abstract objects, which the physics engine in the game is pretending are real objects and trying to make move as accurately as possible as if they were real objects in our real universe subject to the, the forces that physics has measured. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if the universe is a computer, it's a much bigger computer than anyone's game console ever was. Yeah. So it would be able to do this with great verisimilitude. But how does it get there? So what I, what I started to think of is a, uh, a universe that has the set of rules. It's the set of rules that physics describes. These are supposed to be the rules of the universe. But the actual universe is more like a simulation. And maybe it has some process. Maybe it's, maybe it's, it's sentient. Maybe it's just automatic and learning to find patterns of movement and interaction among all these damn particles and come up with simpler ways to represent systems of particles. Okay. And this automatic process might have been going on for the whole history of the universe, okay. billions of years, uh, coming up with ever better models and checking them against the real thing before accepting them and so forth. So by the time we come along, uh, the only time atoms and you know atoms and molecules are ever actually noticeable is, is when some really rare bizarre event occurs. Uh, for the for the most part, the whole universe is experienced as a dynamical system that, if it was being modeled at a high level of abstraction, we might still never know. Okay. You could. You could save tens of thousands, you know, thousands of orders of magnitude on the amount of information you've got to process in order to make things happen. Yeah, or to put it in dumb terms, is in Mopi, where they they stop. Yeah, they stop simulating the universe at an atomic level, unless, of course, you're looking at it through an electron mi microscope. You just mm -hmm. you're, not, you're not rendering things in the distance. So, so what I thought of here was a way that this could have developed without being you know in in, in mopi prime intellect consciously does this yeah d designs the simulation but i thought of a way that was reasonable to me as as a programmer and as somebody who works with information systems that given time something fairly sophisticated could have evolved simply by finding ever more efficient ways to follow the rules okay. and, and make it seem that the rules would be followed now, this does imply that there's a scoring system and a cross-check mm -hmm. because something has to make sure that the rules look like the, the – they, 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 you know, something designed this in, in the beginning 
to look like it's made of atoms and molecules and particles. And so there's some kind of check making sure that it continues to look like particles. So there's a phenomenon in quantum mechanics uh, called the collapse of the state vector. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is that there are situations where it looks as if a couple of parties, actually a system of particles can be in multiple states at the same time. Superposition. yeah, superposition and you know, happily sailing across the universe in this coherent state until somebody observes it. Mm-hmm. And then the universe has to decide what state the damn thing is in. Yeah. And it seems to do that randomly. And there are people who will tell you straight to your face that oh, that's what's happening in the you know, when you shuffle the tarot deck, the universe forgets where the cards are and then it can put them in whatever order it wants when it, you're when you deal them. Okay. Well, that is not a quantum mechanical effect. Quantum mechanics tells you exactly when things like this can happen and they do not happen to playing cards. Okay. Mm-hmm. But what I came up with was a way where maybe something similar to that does happen to playing cards. And it would uh, it would detect when it needs to represent things at a higher at a lower level of abstraction because that's going to have an effect. Even in quantum mechanics, there is argument to this day about what it means to, quote, observe, unquote, something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what is it? You know, what is the thing? Because in that model, a human being is just another swarm of particles. So what is it about this swarm of particles that's me looking through a swarm of particles that's a detector that makes this other swarm of particles realize it has to come and pin down its state? Yeah, become a wave really, particle. Yeah. They really don't have a model for that. And uh, what I'm looking at here is is that if we ride on this assumption that all these phenomena are real, then this is a way to explain them, that you have a an explanation that is supposed to actually be what the universe is, but it's actually actually not anymore because it's been simplified in order to reduce the computational load there's also an overseer that is making sure that nothing happens that can't be explained by rigid adherence to those physical laws so the laws of probability have to be satisfied you can't get two of the same card out of that tarot deck but maybe at some level each of those cards has been reduced to an object Maybe it's a very complex object because the cards might be stained, they might be bent. Mm-hmm. There's all these little descriptive things that might be, need to be applied to them. And they change over time as you shuffle the deck and do, do it and drool on them and whatever. But the deck itself is also an object. And yeah. when you put it together, that uh, abstract algorithm might go, okay, these are the ordered cards are in, boom, okay, now it's just a deck. Because you're not seeing the cards in the middle of the deck, yeah. so they don't, they're not being observed. And that would create an opportunity for something that has that kind of abstract uh, editing ability to go in and swap them around okay. before, you shuffle, before you deal them. Okay. Now, whatever that entity does, though, can't run afoul of the overseer mm-hmm. you know it, it can't you can't have two of the same card come out of the deck yeah. that would that that would give the game away yeah so so now it's kind of like as I, sorry it's kind of like uh sorry it's kind of like fractional reserve banking right as long as no one runs on the bank we can give out 10 times more than we have 
Yeah. Okay. Sorry. So anyway, this is about the point where a skeptic would go, you just stomped Occam's razor into the ground. <laughs> why, why would you propose something this bizarre and complicated instead of the relatively simple swarm of particles theory where all the forces are simple and predictable and, and, and whatever? And it's how about the time I did four readings in a row on the same question and eight cards ended up in the same place. Yeah. And I, I happened to mention that in a, in the comments to an article on corrosion, because I was just going to be vague about it because I knew I would get jumped on. But I had said, I've seen some things that make me seriously have to at least take this seriously, if not believe in it. You know, I'm doing my Robert Anton Wilson thing here. Mm -hmm. And they prevailed on me to say what one of these events was. So I described it was that. I asked the same question four times in a row. And so they piled on me and explained that I did not know math and that that was not nearly as unlikely as it sounded because there are so many unlikely things that could happen. And I was just like, do not ever say to a person who has paid off his house by advantage play gambling that he doesn't know math. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Don't tell it's, Michael Jordan how to shoot a free throw. Right. So, uh, after about 150 comments, I finally convinced them that I really did know what I was talking about. And this was something that should never have happened in the history of a billion universes like this one. Yeah. Then they all assured me that I couldn't obviously couldn't shuffle cards. Yeah. <laughs> so now the thing about this is i do understand there's no middle ground i came to the conclusion uh when i was still in my 20s that one of these two models has to be true and it can't be both of them mm -hmm. and there are times when each of them has its usefulness. And this is the point that Robert and Wilson makes, is that there are times when it makes more sense to just run on the assumption it's a swarm of particles. Even if the other theory is true, a lot of times the universe is gonna work its tail off to make sure you can't tell the difference anyway. Mm -hmm. That's what it's doing. Now, th that would mean the universe is lying to us on a massive scale about what it is. Both of these theories are actually pretty disturbing because either the universe is lying to us on a scale few people really appreciate, or there is something seriously wrong with human consciousness on a scale most people don't appreciate. And we know that there is in fact something wrong with human consciousness because casinos work. Yeah. So people do see patterns that aren't there, but this is one of the reasons that we chose to investigate the tarot and the Yi King because we have notebooks. We can go back and look at things like those patterns of readings and say, you know, this looks more like uh, a conversation than mm. it looks like something random. Mm -hmm. Now, it's still not proof, though. Yeah. If it was proof, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Be be because the universe wouldn't have let it happen. But it doesn't prove anything that we got all these bizarre streaks because the cards still came out in the right frequency mm -hmm. over over the course of time. And, you know, there's nothing to say that you won't lose the first 15 sessions you have playing yeah, blackjack. Boy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> before you end up at the $1,000 table. Yeah. Um, so the main difference, in fact, between uh, the post-change universe at Mopi and the universe we live in 
if Wu works, is that the post-change Mopey universe doesn't have rules. Yeah. Prime 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 Intellect is willing to do anything you ask it. Well, it's like a it's like a dream. It's like it's how everything's po- anything's possible. A dream, like a conundrum. I always think about is like, what if you're an AI researcher and you solve or you pass the Turing test in a dream, right? It doesn't matter. That was, that might be a bad example. Sorry, I'll shut up. Well, and the, the dreams are another good example, of course. Dream interpretation is another form of divination. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and that also brings up an, an interesting question because, of course, when I had that 15-game losing streak, uh, while that is not an impossible thing, it's a very unlikely thing. So having had all these other experiences decades, you know, over a decade in the past, it did cause me to wonder if I was being given a message. Yeah. That was one of the reasons that I decided to stay home. It was like maybe somebody's telling me something here. Yeah. But in the end, it wasn't telling me not to gamble. It was telling me not to play stupid negative expectation games. Fair enough. Well, it's still, it's still kind of telling you something. Roger, give me one second. I got to piss. Sorry. Roger, hold All it right. down. Hold it down. Hold down the negative air or the empty space. Uh, okay, so we don't even have a picture this time. Um, hmm. Okay. And into the quiet. The quiet darkness. If I stare at the screen, I might get a vision. That would be scrying. direction will be uh gambling itself is considered by a lot of people a form of divination and people pay close attention to the re- their gambling results and even though we observed the uh, percentages working out to exactly what the math said there were a few weird things like there was also the losing streak i had at craps after i had that big win night at the net you know at the table and that if you think about it that is exactly consistent with the original message don't play these stupid negative ev games Mm -hmm. so that is amusingly uh consistent and everyone has seen weird stuff in a casino i've i know of four times i can remember offhand i've gone in and seen the roulette scoreboard lit up all in one color so that's 20 rolls in a 20 20 spins in a row that came up the same color yeah and I actually watched a guy's martingale collapse when he started at 25 cents and double kept doubling his losing bets until he ran out the table limit. Jesus. Which is something you don't see every day. In fact, I only saw that once because not many people are quite that stupid. By the time, oh, by the time he was up to 10 bucks, everyone had started betting against him. Yeah. I, um, I saw a fucking guy at a casino with my older brother my friend Ivan 
we were there at a uh, roulette table, like an electronic one. Like it actually, like it shot a physical ball, but it was like there was no actual guy present. And I remember a dude came in, he sat next to me. Looks like he hadn't taken a shower in a couple of years. And he looked at me and, and what's, what I, I, for roulette, what's the one thing that there's only one of? Is it black or green? No, there, there's only one of each number. Um, but there's isn't there like one color where there's like there's just a single solitary one? Yeah, well that's the house number. There's actually two on most American roulette wheels. Yeah, but zero and double zero. Yeah, yeah, it was like that. Yeah, I remember he came down and looked at, and looked at me and put in like twenty dollars, and he goes, "You gotta go for it," and then he got it, and then he walked away, with like four thousand dollars, and I was like, "What the fuck was that?" Yeah, that's about right. He probably bet the zero or the double zero. Yeah. And I was like, what uh, yeah, the fuck he bet was a number. that? He bet a single number and the number came up. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, it's a single... Yeah, that's what it is. It's no less rare than any of the others. It's a single number. Yeah. So, sorry. Pays Go off. Pays off through... Yeah. Uh, any single number, including the house number, pays 30 to 1. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I have seen things like that happen, too. So... Uh, but anyway, uh, that the basic commonality in all of this is that things that seem to be random are being influenced. But they have to be influenced within the rules. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, you, you can't have a situation where you can prove that they're non-random. Mm-hmm. So even though I was writing down my readings, the oracles were obviously, obviously to me at least, willing to let me see those patterns because even if you took that notebook and did a thorough statistical analysis, you wouldn't see anything that was provably outside the realm of math and physics. Mm-hmm. Now, on the other hand, uh, there are people who have sincerely believed in their abilities their entire lives, like dowsers in particular, who uh, honestly showed up to a challenge, like you know, by the amazing Randy or somebody, to show their their skills. And when the TV cameras are running and all of the witnesses are there, nothing works; goes yeah. random on them. Yeah. That. So it's like the universe is willing to let you have these things, but only to a certain extent where it doesn't fuck up the story the universe is trying to tell everyone else. Yeah, it can't do it in front of a lot of people. Your little, your superstitions have to work just for you, kind of. Yeah, and that, and that is actually a point some of the books made, is that you really should always do your own magic and your own divination. You shouldn't uh, pay someone to... to do your horoscope and interpret it or to uh you shouldn't pay somebody to read the cards for you You should learn to do it yourself because it's a personal thing and in the end it only really means anything to you yeah a book called a book called you're imagining things by atl carver is a is a great book on um sort of like positive manifestation he kind of goes into politics at the end of it and he kind of lost me for it but it's a great book aside from that very last chapter but in a way he kind of does use it for how does someone as unlikely as trump win and he kind of explains it as a form of manifestation but point being at the very end he says don't go forcing this on other people he goes a lot of this works when it's just like your little secret with the universe yeah right Uh, that yeah i'm getting ahead of myself because this is about active magic yeah. But uh, there's a story that I was told many years ago about an anthropologist uh, graduate student who spent a season living with an indigenous peoples in South America. And he came back and told his advisor, you aren't going to believe this, but I watched the witch doctor, the shaman, and the shit he does works. It works. Magic works. 
And the advisor told him, son, everybody who does this kind of work knows that magic works, but you can't put that in your dissertation or you will never get another field assignment again. Yeah. You got to keep quiet. You got to keep it to your, yeah, you got, you know, it's like if you could see UFO spotting every night, but you just don't tell anyone it's the universe gives you a little secret with a wink and a smile, but it says, don't tell anyone else. Right. Right. And, and it's like, and and now the, and and there's a big thing, which I'll get into more later in the, you know, when I talk about active magic, there, there is even among people who practice these things, the question is, is it God? Is it some quality of your own intelligence? Is, are there spirits? Are there, uh, if there are spirits, are they the souls of dead people? Are they something that was primally created? And there are many ways of looking at this, but the way I would look at it is that, consciousness is an object Mm -hmm. just like the deck of cards becomes an object and like any like an object in a computer a human built computer system you can make copies of them Mm -hmm. and so they could be the consciousness of other human beings or that you know that have been copied or that persisted after their death even though their body was dead or uh, that were created there is there is a thought of a a, uh there's a feel of there there's an idea among some of these people that you can create a consciousness to specification by thinking of its qualities and 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 imagining it into existence i just got Uh, i just got really nervous because i realized i didn't have your wife's number but i thought i was going to have to call her because i thought you were having a stroke No, that was uh, that was that was me flapping my lips okay. with my finger. To no, go, no, before, oh, before yeah, before that, no. I was like Roger, because <laughs> you're chopping up. I was like, oh fuck, but um, yeah, no, I I tripped over my tongue. Yeah, no. Hey, the universe is getting mad at us for discussing magic. Yeah, it's scolding Actually, us. Actually, it might it's working out pretty well. Maybe it's because we don't have video. <laughs> yeah, isn't it though? Isn't that? It's like it doesn't. It's like you guys can have a little bit of it. All right. So anyway, I want to having taken my little digression, I want to go to something that I know you were were interested in when I mentioned before, and that's astrology. Yes. Which is also a method of divination. And in astrology, the random thing that you are interpreting is the position of objects in the sky. Mm. And, And I don't say the night sky because it's not the night sky. It's the entire sky above and below. Um, so the fundamental uh, concept in astrology is the signs. Everybody knows that there are signs, but very few people know how the signs were created. This is this is a, a set of concepts that evolved probably over hundreds or even thousands of years to not only draw these pictures in the you know these constellations in the sky, but to give them meaning. Yeah. Now, uh, each of the astrological signs uh, the, of the twelve signs has three properties it has a gender every sign is either masculine or feminine and they alternate going around the zodiac every sign has a quality as they call it it's either cardinal fixed or mutable cardinal means like that it's that they're it's enterprising outgoing fixed means it's resistant to change locked in place and mutable means it's adaptive it's it's amenable to change but not necessarily enterprising and going out there and working for that change and these cycle cardinal fixed mutable cardinal fixed mutable cardinal fixed mutable all the way around the zodiac and finally each sign has an element 
earth, air, fire, and water. And these cycle fire, earth, air, water, fire, earth, air, water, fire, earth, air, water, all the way around the zodiac. And the end result of this is that every sign has a unique set of, of, of these properties. So Aquarius, for example, is a masculine sign which means that it's direct, positive, active, you know, it's not receptive and negative. Uh, it is an air sign, which means that it is about intellectual uh, processing, communication, uh, contemplation, you know, and it's fixed, which means it doesn't like change. Okay. Yeah. So I have in my in my chart first of all we are in the age of aquarius in the great year which is supposed to describe the broad forces influencing society and it's really hard to look at that description of aquarius and not go yeah that makes perfect sense yeah okay um now we just came out speaking of the great year we just came out of the age of pisces and uh, this was something I mentioned in our other talk uh, when I was talking about the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. because the age of Pisces was l- almost literally the age of the church. Yeah. And Pisces is a feminine sign. So that means it's passive and negative and receptive. It's a water sign, which means that it's uh, concerned with emotion and intuition. And it's mutable. It, it's 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 accepting of change and uh you know, basically the the shift of powers and empires is not going to bother it. Yeah. Now, it is really hard to look at the last 2,000 years and not go, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, Renaissance, Christ, <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. now, around the time that this guy in Nazareth was having his ministry, we were coming out of the age of Aries, and Aries is another masculine sign, so it's direct, you know, direct and outgoing. Uh, it is a fire sign, so it is energetic. It uh, it is enthusiastic. It it wants to project things out into the world, and it's cardinal, which means it's enterprising and outgoing. And you'll notice that there's an overlap there. This this is a case. They, the whole Western zodiac is a teensy bit testosterone poisoned. Yeah. And that probably has to do with who drew all these things. Yeah. But anyway, it's hard to look at that and the Roman Empire and not go, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and it's not just anything can apply to anything, because if you swap them around and say, how does there, how would Aries apply to the age of Christendom? And it would be like, no fucking way. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so that's where the signs come from. And it's easy to imagine for me to imagine these guys thinking about this over and over. And of course you combine that with the actual pictures that they've drawn onto the stars, uh, and these constellations and, saying you know applying these qualities these these uh uh these properties to the thing in the picture of the sign and so you expand this into a fairly elaborate description of what this sign means so what do you do with this okay because uh okay so you've got zones of the sky 
these uh, the zodiacal regions of the sky that have meaning. What do you do with them? Yeah. Well, you see what planets are in them. Okay. At the time they did this, there were five planets. And uh, as we've discovered more, the serious astrologers have very seriously buckled down to try to figure out what their meaning is. Uh, but each of the planets has a set of characteristics that's a combination of observation and uh, historical precedent. And kind of like with the divination device, the other divination devices, part of it is you look at what the planet has done, what's happened when that planet was in a certain sign, what does it mean? Mm -hmm. So each of the planets has a sign that it rules. it has a sign where it is exalted, where it has especially positive meaning. It has a sign where it's in detriment, which mm-hmm. means it has an exceptionally negative meaning. And because this was done by a society that was obviously uh, on serious downers, it can be in fall, which has the which is like detriment with a double whammy. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and and this is partly worked out by association, partly by the properties of the planet. Venus is extremely bright. Mercury is extremely fast moving, but also dim and hard to spot. Jupiter is like the king of the planets. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even if you don't know that, just that, you know, it's it's almost as bright as Venus, but moves a lot more slowly. And unlike Venus, it's not trapped close to the sun. Uh, you know, because Venus and Mercury can never be more, you know, Mercury is almost never more than one house away from the sun. And Venus is almost never more than two houses because they're inner planets. And when you're looking toward them, you're looking toward the sun. There's no, you know, whereas Jupiter can be anywhere in the sky. Saturn can be anywhere in the sky. Yeah. Uh, and the moon can be anywhere in the sky. Yeah. So, and then you've also got other things. The, uh, there, there are other little uh, details, but that's the next thing that, that, that people look at. And each of those planets being in a particular sign at any given time, then those planets are in a particular set of signs. And that combination of planet and sign tells you, you know, the, the astrologer would say it tells you something about what's going to happen at that time. Okay. That is a that is a property of that time. And there's also uh in addition to that there is the concept of houses so uh, the the planets can be uh, in a particular constellation and they're in that constellation for everybody in the world if you're on the earth and you look at that planet you will see certain stars behind it and that's Mm -hmm. the sign that it's in Mm -hmm. Uh, so and and uh, before i go up you'll notice that there are multiple planets the sun is not the only planet so this is important. Yeah, the sun. The sun is a planet. And, and, okay. okay and the, all right. All right. All right. Sorry. Yeah. Go on. To the ancients, anything that moved against the backdrop of the stars was a planet. Gotcha. So the sun and moon are yeah. So the sun and moon are planets. Okay. And uh, things like comets would be uh, those were outliers, generally considered very negative because they weren't part of the natural order of the sky. Okay. So you've got five ancient uh, traditional planets and the signs that they're in but there's also the concept of houses and what the uh, the house that a planet is in is determined by how high it is above or below the horizon you know where it is starting from the point beneath your feet how far has it traveled toward rising or how high is it in the in the heavens or how far has it sank, sank 
that there are 12 houses that carve up that space and every planet is also in one of the 12 houses did you use now, this in, in order... chapter 8 did you huh? use, did you use this when she goes to um when she goes to his planet and the the connections in the sky from Opie? I was I was it's not like this but yeah I obviously had this in the back of my sure, mind that sure. uh, the sky is because this is actually almost literally what astrologers believe they 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 tend to believe that when you're looking at the sky you were looking at the gears that drive the universe okay and okay. that and that the patterns in the sky they use the phrase as above so, so below. below yeah okay all right sorry go on so so yeah so that was a, that was an echo to astrology in that when you look up in the sky on Lawrence's planet you mm -hmm. are looking at the mind of God okay all right which is which is which is pretty much the way that uh, some astrologers would put it when yeah. they're doing and, and astrologers are very very fucking serious about this yeah. they 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 uh, so there are a few other little things there's the rising sign which is the sign of the zodiac that is on the horizon in the east rising when your event happens mm -hmm. so you take all of this uh you really need the time and location of something to do a proper horoscope for it because you can't get the houses without the time and location and you can't get the sign of the moon uh unless it's in the middle because it changes sign every few days as the month progresses mm -hmm. so if you don't know the time of something you have a very inaccurate moon sign and you don't have the houses at all okay. um so fortunately i know I, I have my birth certificate so i know when i was born okay but it's an example of how serious astrologers are that there is an entire miniature industry around tracking the changes that have been made to time zones and daylight savings time over the years so that birth certificate times can be turned into an accurate sidereal time okay uh which tells you your houses and your uh your stuff like that mm -hmm. uh so when you draw a horoscope, that now ever since the 1980s, horoscopes have been drawn by computer. Mm -hmm. A horoscope is magnificently complicated. Yeah. Uh, and this is a thing that always makes my, uh, it just makes me cringe when I hear Carl Sagan of all people in the original Cosmos criticizing astrology because it's vague and one twelfth of everybody has the same sign yeah what that is like doing is hanging a placard around your neck that says i do not know what i am talking about <laughs> yeah yeah and, and yeah and it's not hard to find out what astrologers really do you don't have to learn to do it yourself it takes a couple of hours to talk to somebody and maybe read up on it and realize exactly what a horoscope is okay but you're too fucking lazy to do that before <laughs> making a tv series that people are still going to be watching in 30 years i mean that really when i when i found out how this shit worked it really gave me uh, a bad taste in my mouth about that particular segment yeah. because and, and it's a mistake that a lot of skeptics make because they start out with the a priori assumption that none of this shit can work it's not worth studying there's nothing of interest there and so they miss the fact that it is actually enormously complicated and it's the opposite of vague a yeah. horoscope 
dumps a shitload of information on you. Well, it's it's the same. Well, yeah, when you come come out with the notion that it cannot be true, to me that is like the. Um, it's like how militant atheists to me are as close-minded as fundamentalists because you are mm-hmm. you are declaring that you know what is or what is not. They're both yeah. equally ignorant. And Carl Sagan, he yeah, he also had the same uh, problem with UFOs that there's no way they could possibly be here. And the only challenge to that is well then maybe the uh, maybe uh, the speed of light isn't the uh, isn't the speed limit? He said that can't be true, and it's like, how can you be a scientist and then say one thing is certain, right? To me, that's yeah. that that always discredited him in my mind. Is that he said UFOs have never been to Earth? Is that's a bold statement, right? That's the Earth is flat, yes. and I know it is. Sorry, and Carl Sagan rant. <laughs> yeah, fuck that guy. I mean, so, I like so, him, but fuck that guy. Yeah. So uh, so anyway. Uh, to give a, a, a little taste of this, uh, my horoscope is actually pretty spectacular. Okay. Um, when I had it done at the New Age shop in the 80s, because we didn't want to buy the software, so they had a service where you could pay $10 and the computer would draw your horoscope and it would spit out all these little interpretive things. Yeah. So, and uh, oh, and I forgot to mention that there are aspects. So, like, if two planets. Uh, on your chart are at an angle with one another like they're well if they're conjunct if they're in the same location or if they're in opposition or if they form a 90 degree angle they're square or a 60 degree angle they're trying all those things can have meanings mm-hmm. so you start looking into one of these charts and you can find a whole shitload of little things yeah so uh as it turns out i have four planets in aquarius okay the guy at the New Age shop did a double take as he was watching the computer spit out my horoscope, my chart. He, he, he was like, because this is one of these guys who was a big believer, right? So mm-hmm. he was deeply invested in it. And he saw what the computer was printed and whipped around to take a closer look. Okay. Um, what's especially fun about that is I have four planets in the same sign and Venus isn't one of them. And normally when you've got a bunch of planets in the same sign, Venus, the sun, and, and Mercury are three of them because they're always in the same direction. Yeah. So let's see. So I have the sun, Mercury, Mars, and Saturn in Aquarius, my moon in Pisces, Venus and Jupiter in Aries. Fun thing about that, you notice those are the signs of the last three great months. Three great years or months? The three great, well, the, th- the three, la- the, the last three signs of the great year. Okay, We're in the yeah, age yeah. of Aquarius. We came out of Pisces and Aries was before that. Mm-hmm. All of my planets are in those three signs. Okay. Okay. So anyway, the computer isn't a human being. It doesn't do cross interpretation. So it doesn't know when these things contradict with one another. It just says, well, each of yeah. these things. And, and an amateur astrologer would have just used a book to get these same uh little summaries so my moon is in pisces here's an here's an example this is what the computer said that means the subject is highly receptive often kind amicable and gentle under affliction he may be lazy gullible restless and impractical my moon isn't under affliction so that's not a big problem (laughs) with strong tendency to change his mind decision making can prove a source of conflict the imaginative powers are well developed and often there is artistic ability though this may lack coherent expression there is a tendency which should be recognized and resisted to too easily be discouraged. This placing heightens the emotions, self-indulgence. 
Now, when I had my horoscope uh, done, I got 10 pages of little summaries like that. Jesus. <laughs> How's that for vague, Carl? <laughs> so, can... Never mind, I don't know. I need. A, I would ask my mom what time I was born. Because now yeah, I'm curious. Uh, yeah, I had uh, I I had to get my birth certificate for for another reason. But you also have to find out the time zone situation. There is an entire book uh, about time zone changes that uh, exists because there have been so many changes and regional weird things and all. Because an hour difference changes up all your houses and can fuck up your moon sign. Uh, so fortunately, fortunately, New Orleans is a major location, so it depends on where you were born, yeah. too. Well, I was born in uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and I think it's still the same Eastern. I mean, I was born in 1990. I don't think there's been... Like, okay, yeah. Yeah, they had pretty much finished yeah. screwing around with them by then. Yeah, I'm, 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 young, I'm young enough. It's back when my day, there was horse-drawn carriage. No, it was, <laughs> no, it was 1990. Yeah, well, well no. I was born in 1964, and they were still screwing around with them quite a bit then, but fortunately, New Orleans is a major city, and so that was pretty well known we had people who are born in rural areas there was a there are some parts of the country where it's actually kind of a problem and uh that then astrologers actually consider this to be a thing that they have strategies for dealing with if they don't know the time or they don't know it accurately they'll take other information about your life and try to back it in to what some of those things might have been to try and work out what your uh what your horoscope itself is saying the time might have been could that be an aspect of the horoscope that you're from like a a field of chaos or confusion that you you can't accurately pin down where you're from could that is kind of getting meta no all right it's 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 more just that the uh it's it's like using a worn out badly calibrated instrument to measure something okay all right is is the way the astrologers look at that and so you've got to, to, to interpolate things and, and work out whether the needle is, needs to be kicked or something. Gotcha. Uh, but that's that's how they interpret that. Gotcha. Uh, now, an interesting thing, uh, of course, the Eastern uh, uh, astrology is completely different. That's why there's that Chinese horoscope that you get in the Chinese restaurants. <laughs> but, but their system is very heavily dependent on the houses and the sidereal time if you don't know the time you were born you pretty much are fucked as far as like the chinese uh, astrologers were concerned um so we're we're a bit luckier with that in the west because our system can deal with it um what, what but anyway we... so you have that for each of the you have that for each of the 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 planets and each of its signs you have that for each planet and the houses and uh, the difference there is the the sign that a planet is in is considered to affect uh, broad influences on your life. The the uh, the things that make you who you are. Uh, it's kind of like your genotype. Okay. The houses affect how your life is going to go. Uh, what part of your life that 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 planet is going to influence most? Like the second house is possessions and wealth and resources. The eighth house is money inheritance and investments so that's you know those are not as strong of an influence in western astrology so the the other thing is each of these little pithy some uh, statements uh me has a stronger or weaker influence 
Now, an actual astrologer, someone who studies this shit seriously, isn't going to take those little summaries and try to average them together. Mm-hmm. They're going to understand the basis based on the properties of each sign, the properties that the planets have, the properties of the houses, and they're going to form an original synthesis. Mm-hmm. But that takes a lot of experience. And the astrologers will cheerfully tell you who is more skillful than they are at doing that. Um, is, and they're constant. Sorry, question so, is, um, for what about, I know this is kind of out of left field, but you were talking earlier about um, how important it is in the East to know exactly what time. What about things where, granted, it's tiny, but like the Three Gorges Dam displaces so much water that it's like the, the, like the day is like a tenth of a microsecond or millisecond longer or shorter or what about asteroid strikes could that fuck shit up or is it so infinitesimal okay yeah yeah because the change it's so slight okay what they would say is that what matters is is actually where everything is in the sky and what uh what the sky looks like from where you're standing okay but when you get to changes that are that slight, uh, then they don't really have much of an effect on anything. Although a serious astrologer would say, well, they probably affect something, but we can't measure it. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That's just sort of the the okay. attitude. I mean, yeah, that's going to change the gears, okay. but not enough for us to measure the change. Maybe in a billion years it adds up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, actually, it's added up. One of the funny things is that some of the skeptics knowingly will uh, will uh, ride on is that uh, when you have a chart cast, they are still using the planetary positions as they would have been calculated uh, at the beginning of the age of Pisces. So everything is actually shifted around a sign, but they continue to do the math the same because they say it still works. Okay. Okay. But if you if you get a program to do your horoscope, they will all do it the same way. I've had mine done three times by three different software packages, and uh, it always tells me the same thing. Okay. Um, so uh, the, the, the bottom line with this is that a horoscope tells you a whole bunch of specific shit. Yeah. Now, the problem, though, is I just gave you a theory before I got into astrology of how all this stuff can work mm-hmm. with everything being abstracted into uh, much smaller information blocks like objects that can be more easily manipulated by some conscious entity that has the power to do so uh, as long as they do it within the rules. Now, the problem with astrology is that the so-called random thing you're interpreting isn't random. The planets move in fixed orbits. Mm-hmm. So there's no big fucking mystery where Mercury is going to be next September. Yeah. So the only way for something to make a thing align with astrology is to influence it here on the ground. So that means that the entity that decides to uh, make your life so very Aquarius in my case, because I am like the prototype person for the sign of Aquarius. I mean, my horoscope is completely right about that. Uh, But how did it do that? It couldn't affect, I mean, it might've slightly been able to affect when I was born, but not by much. Uh, But so what it it has to affect is me. Yeah. So this has, really disturbing implications for things like free will and most astrologers really don't think about that they you know they they 
they're not looking at it from that point of view. And so they, they're just like, oh, yeah, man, we're just looking at the gears that make the whole universe run. And it's like, uh, if you're right, these are also the gears that it might be making you run. Mm. And the middle ground there is an idea that there are, shall we say, major, uh, major players. Yeah, there, there are there are things that are you know, there are individuals and events that are astrologically important mm-hmm. and and the whatever entities are responsible for trying to make the world line up with this uh, use those as their playing pieces mm-hmm. and other people don't necessarily have a destiny mm-hmm. which is also kind of elitist as shit yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little gatekeepery. Uh, and uh, and actually, if you look at the medieval guys who who uh, were kind of keeping all this under wraps for the Catholic Church, they uh, their whole belief system was pretty much outed by Aleister Crowley uh, when he uh, published the Secrets of the Golden Dawn Society. Um, and the they seem to have formed the idea that there are uh, major actors, but that if you're not one of those major actors, there are things you can do to buy in. Mm-hmm. So if you are not one of the major actors that has already been designated because you're not a royalty and, and you're not one of these people like uh, Sir Isaac Newton that has been uh, dedic- you know, designated as, okay, we're going to give him and this other guy calculus mm-hmm. and see what they do with it. Yeah. Um, but if you are uh, sufficiently industrious or if you do rituals or or if you have uh you know proper attentive to positive magic that you can create a destiny for yourself which in their case they also thought might mean uh creating an afterlife for yourself they didn't think that everybody would have an afterlife they thought that that was something that you had to acquire by working for it and that was something you'll notice they didn't tell the hoi polloi the what they didn't tell the common people okay yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, some of us are going to have an afterlife, and that whole heaven and hell thing is just a bunch of shit to manipulate you guys. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how how similar is that? You know, not everyone yeah. is going to get to a biological transcendence. Not everyone can leave the planet when it explodes. But some yeah. of us might. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're working on it. Yeah. We're not going to tell you how to do it, but we're working but on we're it. We're working on it. So that. Uh, brings me to active magic which is basically divination in reverse Uh, in magic you are using a symbolic system to make some kind of statement or request and hoping that the universe will act on it and that can be taking the right psychoactive drugs so that the gods can hear you better building an altar and putting things in a symbolic pattern uh, spray paying symbols on the trees and the mm-hmm. woods or doing a dancing ritual. I mean, the, you know, basically there's just as wide a variety of ways to do magic as there are ways to do divination. And in fact, almost all the methods of divination can also be used to perform active magic. Just you use them in reverse uh, to make a statement or request yourself instead of waiting for the oracle to make it randomly. Okay. So, but uh, again, it's like, you know, there's no wizards throwing lightning bolts from mountains. It's, it's all more like the subtle influence on things that should be random, but might not be. Yeah. And, 
but but if you think about it, that can be really hella powerful. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, you don't have all of this stuff like you do in fantasy novels, but there are people who believe that really fucking important things happened to them because they did a ritual or that they talked to God or what that whatever. Yeah, and isn't that like the idea behind like, um, like the more people you get synced up on the same idea, the greater power it has. Which is there are, like, yeah. There are some systems that, that that say that, but there are others that say the opposite. That really the most powerful magic is done by individuals okay. because their concentration is more pure. Okay. And you you don't have the the sketchy individuals whose con you know whose focus is not strong enough or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that goes back to do your own magic. You yeah. know, it, yeah. it's it's yeah. just one of those things that's considered by most people to work better. Uh, if you do it for yourself and there's one exception to that which i'll get to at the very end but uh it is way so uh everyone knows you know, when most people think of doing magic they think of putting up an altar they think of wicca yeah. uh which you know that that's like the fundamental new age thing and wicca was essentially made up in the middle of the 20th century uh, by uh, bodging together the symbols of various historical pagan religions, uh, particularly nature religions like the white goddess. Uh, and in fact, the Wicca, the, the, God, the creator being of the Wiccan universe is the goddess mm -hmm. who gave birth to the universe. Yeah. Uh, now, here's a thing, talk about how, uh, I'm going to do a little digression here because I had it in my notes back at the beginning, but I skipped it. Uh, I, I mentioned this sometimes gets me in trouble. Uh, and over on Daily Coast, I made what I thought was the completely uncontroversial and innocent statement that from the standpoint of a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Taoist, that Judaism, Christianity and Islam are all basically the same religion. Yeah, because there because you've got the male father God who creates the universe as an act of uh, of, of craftsmanship mm -hmm. deliberately and has a bad temper about it and uh, seriously thinks of throwing it away before he decides to keep it. All three of these religions share that no other religion in the history of mankind shares any not even one of yeah. those things yeah and these three and have the same thing yeah so and, and plus they share a fucking holy book yeah okay well, it's the same patriarchal <laughs> father who's a little bit manipulative and abusive right yeah yeah and the torah and the old testament are both holy books you know for for all three religions and they all fucking so, came from a flood yeah well, the flood is common in a Flood, lot of others. Floods, yeah, that was I realized as I said that that didn't apply. So sorry, I'm a fucking moron. But but but, but the Father of God, that that that's pretty unique to those three. And right. this one guy jumped all over me and wouldn't let it go. That how dare I lump Judaism in with these other things? They're so different. And I was like, <laughs> Father God that created the universe as as a crafts project rather than giving birth to it or tripping over it or, or coughing it up or whatever mm -hmm. it was, you know, and, and it's like, and he just wouldn't fucking let it go. So I finally just said, look, dude, we and you agree to disagree. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the people you agree to disagree and you by no means share your physical location with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, back, back to yeah, magic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Okay. Radionics is a, a branch of magic that uses technology as its symbolic system. Okay. And in ra- to do radionics, you build machines, but you don't actually have to build them. Some people just draw the schematic diagram and use threads for wires to, to get from the schematic to the little to the touch sensors that you might use. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a guy named G. Harry Stein who was kind of the Bill Nye of his day. And in the mid 80s, uh, he put you know, he was a NASA engineer on the Apollo project, mm-hmm. published a bunch of books for kids on science. And in the mid 80s, he, he published a book called On the Frontiers of Science. Uh, and it was a collection of little projects that he had done, which were basically his way of accepting the challenge of trying things that aren't supposed to work to see if they really work. And his story was, hey, when I tried these things, they worked. And there's probably some law of physics waiting to be discovered that explains these. Uh, but he was honest about what he attempted to do and the results that he got. And to this day, the materialists jump his butt because of that. They, they just have never forgiven him for writing that book. Yeah. Um, because he was one of them, man. He was an engineer and yeah. Apollo and, and, and wrote books about model rocketry and, and shit in this light. And how dare yeah. he contaminate his legacy well, with like, the suggestion that woo actually works. Well, that's like Dr. Eben but, Alexander, the Harvard neurosurgeon I had on who died and went to heaven. There's been so mm-hmm. many articles out. Since, I got a little of that. Yeah, there's been so many. This guy is a Harvard neurosurgeon, like a, a Harvard brain surgeon. I mean, the peak of the peak. There have been so many articles since he wrote that book trying to discredit him, saying that he's not, doesn't have an MD, or he didn't finish his fellowship, or he never actually did brain surgery. Yeah, it's, a, it's just as bad as a religious cult. The materialist cult is just as bad. Yeah. Yes. Um... So anyway, a lot, but but a lot of uh, Harry Stein's projects were radionic machines. Okay. Uh, there's one called a wishing amplifier, where you actually use an electronic amplifier connected to a little box where you put your wish in it and an, and an antenna. And this, of course, has no basis in, in reality, but he had a very startling result when he built the wishing amplifier. In fact, he said he was so startled by it that he felt this was a power that uh, was too dangerous to, to release, and he disassembled it after his first try okay. uh, because he was afraid of it. Okay. Uh, so, so anyway, uh, but that's, you know, this is, this is an example of something that is obviously very new because it's using schematic symbols. Oh, one of the things, one of the funny things Harry Stein said about his radionic machines is a lot of the, when you, when you build them with, uh, with, you don't build the, the machine, you just draw the schematic. He found that, uh, in order for it to continue to work, he periodically had to re-ink the battery. Hmm because apparently his mind was so literal that he felt the battery had to be replenished occasionally or it would stop working. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But you but you but you've got to think about he noticed that a thing that seemed to be working seemed to be not working and that was a thing that he did that caused it to seem to be working again. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy who's used to observing things like I said he's an engineer. So uh, that right there, and he recognized that. He, now he didn't really believe. I mean, he, 
in, 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 in the deep woo. He really thought that this was evidence of some law of physics that, uh, that had not been discovered that was making it possible for these things to happen. He had not thought it through the way that I did, probably because he was an engineer and not a computer guy. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I was looking through systems complexity and some stuff that probably wasn't more his specialty and realizing, no, there's, there is no place in physics for an undiscovered law of physics that can do shit like this. There is no way yeah. that, that that anything like that has been missed that could cause these kind of effects. Yeah. Okay, so now, uh, as I mentioned before, there is a Christian magic system, which was originally the Jewish uh, magic system, and that is the Kabbalah, or the Tree of Life. Mm-hmm. And it is uh, represents 10, what they call separate, uh, which are little circles with symbols in them that are connected by 22 lines or branches. And these represent uh, the various archetypes or elements of creation or the mind of God. And the big thing about the Kabbalah is that it's supposed to be in balance and that bad things happen because it's not in balance. And rituals based on the Kabbalah tend to involve lavishing attention on the sephiroth that is not getting you know that 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 is in decline or that is having problems uh they each have characteristic colors and shit like that that you can use to uh to represent them and uh to enhance in order to increase their uh their representation there is a whole shitload of literature about the kabbalah Mm And different schools of thought about it. I mean, people have spent their entire lives obsessing over this symbol. Um, And much of the Kabbalistic magic, especially as it was used by uh, the Christian practitioners, was revealed by Aleister Crowley. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is how we found out that there is a a Christian uh, magic tradition. And uh, that suggested a lot of things. so uh, the thing about Christianity is 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 it it stands kind of alone. Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll get to it in a second. I, I just want to mention, being from New Orleans, we have voodoo. Yeah. And in the Caribbean, you've got Santeria, which is closely related, although they're a little more into things like animal sacrifices and Santeria, uh, and those are basically pagan African magic that has been imported by the slaves and translated from their old deities to Catholic saints to Mm -hmm. conceal what they're doing. Uh, This is a thing that happened all over the world. Uh, Well, the adoption of Catholic saints in the stead of previous pagan uh, gods and deities. Uh, All through Central and South America this was done. And the at the Roman Catholic Church itself kind of looked the other way because this greased the skids of converting people to yeah. Catholicism, yeah. but they really, really don't like it it's, because it's paganism. It's like uh, Bill Hicks's bit on why like the Christian holiday is the 25th, and it's like, how are we going to get more members to join? And then you find out they have the 25th, and they're like, yeah. hey, fuck German it. solstice ritual. They're like, fuck it. Jesus was born then. They're like, really? They're like, fuck yeah, he was. Come on in. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly that sort of thing. But actually, in reverse, this here, because the, uh, well, and uh, it actually turns out that uh, a lot of these deities are archetypes. So it's not hard for the, uh, the natives to find a Catholic saint. 
whose personality and qualities closely map to one of their deities that did similar things. And so uh, they just bring them in and keep doing the same rituals only to the Catholic saint instead of the deity, which is why you have all these people who have altars to the saints, Mm -hmm. which is why our friend uh, X thought the Blessed Virgin Mary had brought the casinos for him. I mean, this is where that sort of thing came from. And it, it bled over into the the slave owners and the whites, mainly because of the slaves uh, being tasked with raising the kids. Yeah. And so uh, these ideas leaked over that you should leave a silver dime or, or you know, to, to ward off bad luck and all this stuff. Uh, but basically, this is a very, you know, this is a very basic pagan, direct magic oriented religion. Uh, now personally i never had much luck with active magic you know they tell you to do the experiment some things work for some people some things don't work for some people and active magic never really worked very well for me and i think that's partly my personality uh i have a problem holding the thought form Mm -hmm. uh i i I tend to be yeah well my moon is in pisces so uh you know it's just it's easier for me to do divination because you don't have to concentrate on the thing uh, for as long or in the same way, yeah. uh, and it's but it's not belief. Yeah, the idea it's 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 not that you believe in things; it's that you do the ritual. Yeah, well, and for me, that's meditation and sorry for interrupting. In positive visualization, I mean, I didn't know what it was in college, but aside from studying twelve hours a day, every day I would imagine what it was going to be like to get the acceptance letter letter from med school. Mm-hmm. The you know the the oh, that, holler from my mom on the phone that I can't believe you got in the goosebumps that I get in <laughs> the air conditioning on the plane that I go to interview with the, just little things like the smell of the hotel room the night that I stay in the night before before I go interview little things and I did that and I firmly but I did that every day for three years some days I believed it more than others but I, and that's more of my mindset is the OCD uh, you can see with this podcast the repetitive nature. The yeah. always putting it in but even now i do it and i started again i went from like january i went from like august 2010 to like uh august 2013 i did it every day and i stopped uh, a couple months before my brother took his life and then i just i just dropped it entirely until about december last year and i with doing the podcast every day is every yeah. day is just like yeah, uh, the podcast is going to work. Uh, I'm going to move out from my parents' house. Uh, I'm going to succeed. Um, uh, and, I, and I also leave it open. I also say, like, um, it's going to be good. It's going to work, but it's going to surprise me. And some days I, I meditate on that for an hour. Most days I meditate on that for about 10 minutes. But to me, it's, it's yeah, and it's that's, that's probably just who I am. Is It's a repetitive, hold it every day. Some days I hold it for an hour. Some days I hold it for 10 minutes. But it's like depositing $100 versus depositing a dollar. You just get in the repetition of, you know, depositing in the bank account. And rant. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's very definitely uh, a form of magic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in fact, you're not the only one who, who does that. I mean, that's very Norm, you know, Norman Vincent Peale and, mm-hmm. and, and all that. Uh, but the, that, that closely aligns to a number of much more ancient practices as well. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look at a lot of the stuff in Buddhism, uh, you're not doing the whole thing, but you're doing some of the stuff on the Eightfold Path right there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I know, right? But that's what's so crazy is when you do this stuff, you then – you can learn about these religions and you're like, I thought I discovered that on my own. 
which gives more credence to the idea of it being a a static law like a gravitational constant right right yeah well and and the thing is there are uh other people have come before me looking for commonality between things and so there are a few laws of magic there's actually like a dozen or half dozen dozen of them depending on who you read but the two biggies um which are significant in my experience are the law of signatures or similarity which says natural things resemble what they influence uh that's like those gemstones that that you know bloodstone looks like it's been it's green which means it's associated with life and prosperity but it's been flecked by blood yeah so that means you know well okay uh but you know and but then aventurine is green which means it's life and prosperity but it's shiny and it flashes as you twirl it around and so that 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 looks like silver you know that 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 looks like energy and then there's the law of contagion which is that things influence what they've been in contact with Mm -hmm. uh and people do this instinctively this is what the whole thing about trophy hunting celebrity artifacts is about yeah is yeah you know this celebrity kissed me i'm never going to wash my face again uh-huh. or i have this shirt that was signed by drew Brees or something yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah, that's yeah. so you 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 take part of their power mm-hmm. by having an artifact that they've touched mm-hmm. people don't need to be these just to be explained to them people uh understand these things instinctively yeah. and that's what makes probably what makes them work yeah but the the whole you know the holding a thought form in your head uh, is called reality creation in some circles, uh-huh. and that is that thoughts are things. They they a thought is a thing that really exists. Yeah. And if you think about my little personal model for how the Wu universe has to work, that makes sense because a thought is going to be an object that's mm-hmm. abstracted within the within the object of your consciousness and your in your mind, mm-hmm. and that thought might take on an independent existence or be copied you know it might become a real object yeah. so there is a mechanism by which that might work now the only problem with it the other thing with active magic is that there are 10 billion people in the world and um, a large number of other forces that have to balance out in the end and so the thing you want might not be a thing that is physically reasonable to ask for at the moment and you might not know that yeah uh so this is one of the other reasons that uh it, it's not as reliable divination uh is much more uh much easier to get to work partly because it doesn't cost the universe anything to to tell you a story yeah well it's like the idea don't you don't you don't ask for you don't ask to manifest a uh, hundred trillion dollars and a harem of a thousand women you ask for a raise you ask for you know yeah you and, know. and even asking even asking for something like a lottery jackpot you got to realize a lot of other people want are, that exactly. lottery jackpot so the idea is so, you keep you keep your uh you keep your the kingdom the quote-unquote kingdom you're asking for you keep it small you want a yard yeah. and a cow right you you keep mm-hmm. it don't ask for the castle don't ask for the mountains ask for you know, uh, I hope. Um, you know, I hope I end this grudge with my parents. I hope. Uh, I hope my back pain goes away. I hope. Um, you know, whatever. I, I. What you get? What I'm saying? You know, I hope. I hope Chris, oh, course, Christmas yes. works out. Keep it small. You keep it, and that is, in a sense, you know, that's the 
you know, be happy with what you have. But it's keep it tiny, right? Ask for a good internet connection with Roger. That's all I want tonight, right? Nothing. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm not going. I'm going to work on that too. Yeah, I'm not asking for. Don't give me the presidential election. I'll let those fuckers debate. That's probably why it was such a mess last night, right? Is no, don't ask for that. I just no. want. I just want a solid internet connection. On that rant, Roger, I got to piss. I know. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're making it rain. And I'm back. <laughs> uh, did you say? I thought I heard you when I was rock. Did you say making it rain? I said we're making. You're making it rain. Yeah, I thought I heard you say that. <laughs> I was like, what? The? I was like, fuck you. Um, <laughs> hey, bro. That's a side effect of staying hydrated. But uh, okay. sorry. Okay. Let's, let's go on. So, so uh, one of my last points here is religion. Religion is formalized group magic. Yeah. Period. And uh, most people who uh, practice any of the world religions, any folk religion, any, any pagan religion particularly, would have no argument with that at all. The only apparent contradiction to it is Christianity, which is oddly magic-free. Uh, but that is because the Roman Catholic Church reserved magic for its hierarchy. The only rituals that you were allowed to do as a layperson had to be led by a priest mm -hmm. and the really powerful stuff wasn't even allowed to the priests so their entire uh system of the the kabbalah and everything which which is it's kind of odd because it wasn't reserved in judaism it was actually uh known to most of their uh scholars but the christians hid it and you can probably draw some conclusions there about the way the jews were treated at times um <laughs> But uh, when the Protestants broke away, they lost even the little bit of magic that had been allowed to the lay pleiety through the mass. Uh, so uh, there is a steady trickle of little rituals that you participate in if you're a Catholic. Uh, but the Protestants kind of started off the idea that this was a scam and gradually lost most of even those mm -hmm. um, so uh, I like to say that if religion was art Christianity would be modern art that you know, that is stripped of information until it's like an abstract symbol that you look at and if you get what the artist was trying to do you realize it's a person on a horse yeah um, so uh, the thing is people instinctively want ritual Mm -hmm. And they, 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 it's it's useful and it works for them. And so this is why you've also had some recreation of it. Uh, you have uh, 
the practice of baptism as it's practiced by the you know by the baptists i was raised baptist and i was baptized when i was 10 or 11 years old i think mm-hmm. um because i thought that i had an ecstatic experience well i guess i did i mean it was an ecstatic experience uh now they would think the fact that i'm an atheist today means something went wrong but they have all kinds of explanations for that you had a uh, uh, you had an ecstatic experience yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of the things that the whole church-going ritual is designed to produce, especially if you're uh, in in that tradition. Is, yeah. is well, you're supposed you're supposed to concentrate on the, the wonder of God until you have uh, an epiphany. Well, well, I, 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 the reason I question that is because, well, I guess before now, the only person I'd ever told this was my mom, and this was I told her two years ago, in two thousand eighteen. But 1997, when I had my first communion, I was raised Catholic and I was in Arkansas. I had my first communion, and I still remember it. To the, I remember going up and just kind of being nervous because I had to like do the thing and do it right, and like my grandma and grandpa were there. I had no like intention of it being anything, and I remember taking it, and I mean, I mean, it, it to this day, I don't think I've had like a a physical uh, elation even comparable to that. Because it felt like, I mean, it felt like the best weed, the best alcohol, <laughs> the best Xanax, and the best orgasm. All put the, but I remember walking back to the pew, and like, my whole body was like warm and loving and pulsing, and not just like goosebumps or like I'm excited or I'm proud. I mean, I felt high as a fucking kite for thirty minutes, and I still look back to that at this day. The only thing I can compare to it is maybe like hyper deep meditation or like. I don't know, a milligram of LSD. Like, it's the only <laughs> thing I can compare to it. But I was, I didn't tell anyone that until I was 28. I told my mom that. that I, and I was an atheist. And now I'd say I'm, an, I'm a positive agnostic now. But I haven't been a practicing Catholic since, like, I don't know, 2016, 2015. So, yeah, that, that well, made me prick my ears up when you said ecstatic experience. Is, yeah, uh, that's, yeah it's, I was it's, it's crazy. magic, man. Yeah, it's, it's fucking that... magic, man. It's crazy. It's insane. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that some of these rituals are designed to do is to induce a state like that. And if you think about it, all those receptors that are activated by things like ecstasy and LSD are there because there are natural chemicals that st- that, that, that that can lock onto them. Yeah, well, like the cannabinoid receptors. Right, so it's like you stumbled onto an experience that uh you know, triggered an avalanche like that and that's actually happened to me a few times now but when it happened to me when i was 10 and it is, so what it, what it was is that it wasn't the experience of being baptized because in the baptist tradition you request to be baptized when you think you have been when you've had the experience okay. and you, you think that you you have uh, spoken directly to god and and that you have a personal relationship with god now and i think my mother in particular was a little suspicious that I was jumping a gun or, or something, but mm-hmm. then, the, but but it, it, like I said, it, it was it was it was done, and so they dunked me, um, and uh, and that's part of it. But uh, Catholics have a lot more rituals more often than most Protestants do. But then you have the the what they consider kind of the fringe guys that do snake handling and speaking uh-huh. in tongues and uh-huh. all. And I think that these things exist because people have a need are a use at least for ritual and when they stumble on something that seems to work like that they go for it yeah um, i mean so we all have rituals though i mean even if your rituals 
you wake up, you take a hot shower, you shave, you always have the same piece of toast. I mean, that's your morning work ritual, right? Yeah, but that's kind of in a different vein, though, because okay. you're not really doing that deliberately to acquire a result. You're just doing that uh, as, as, as sort of a, a sense of uniformity in okay. your life. And that's a thing. Okay. But okay. Okay. magic is more about doing something that is outside of the normal flow. Uh in, in order to change things up or to uh, enhance something uh, that could be better than it is, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the rituals that are done by a lot of the world religions are really about self improvement uh, or creating a relationship with the divine. Uh, the uh, it's the 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 further back you go toward the pagan religions, uh, the more magic is just practical, and religion is just uh, formalized group practical magic it is about reinforcing what the shaman is trying to help you guys do and stuff and then as the religions get larger and more formal then uh part of it is that the 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 things migrate more to where the personal magic isn't done with the formal guidance anymore um the Egyptians probably had the most advanced religion in the world as far as syncretically uh, combining everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when they conquered a people, they didn't uh, like ban their religion or, or trash their gods. They brought their gods into the Egyptian pantheon. They absorbed it. They absorbed yeah. their magic. Yeah, they absorbed their they absorbed their gods. They absorbed their pantheon, and they actually formally believed that any god you could conceive of existed because you had conceived of it sure and you could ask it for favors and expect a result sure that you know, so uh in ancient egypt it was actually a privilege and you had to have some standing or or, or be able to make some contribution to be allowed to be a member of one of the prominent cults the you know to to go to the the temple and participate in the group ritual so if you were like joe schmo nobody then you might just like identify a local hawk yeah and say okay that's my animal that's my god yeah that guy is work that guy is watching over me he he, he lives in my neighborhood and eats rats that's good yeah okay yeah and uh and and if i ask him to help me with this little thing that i need then he can talk to the powers that are involved because he's a bird mm-hmm. and I'm not. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is the kind of thing that they thought was real. And the the thing about modern religion in the West is that a lot of it has been about – I mean the Council of Nicaea was really very ruthlessly about – taking power from ordinary people and reserving it for the ruling class yeah. um, and not just political power but also this magic yeah, this power of ritual and magic which they thought was just as real as nuclear fission i was about to say it, uh, you took the words out of my fucking mouth fuck you roger was isn't <laughs> isn't that like the original yeah, the powers heretofore reserved for the Almighty, Robert Oppenheimer, right? Who gets the nuclear codes? Who gets the fucking power to bring a star over a city, right? I mean, that's, that's the original. It's the original gatekeeping assholes. Yeah, and and they're still doing it today. Yeah. Uh, but but what happened is that it drifted away from them. Yeah. Because when when Martin Luther left, Martin Luther 
hated hypocrisy. Yeah. And the thing that drove him off the ledge was the selling of indulgences. The idea that you could buy your way out of hell just made him uh, enraged because this was so obviously a hypocritical scam that couldn't have anything to do with anything divine. And – uh, but of course, this was a profitable scam for the church, so they really didn't appreciate it when he criticized them for yeah. it. But that was why. Well, that was why he nailed the principles up on the door of that church. Yeah, and yeah, the ninety-nine theses. So, and the thing is, Luther was not a a, a man of the common people at all. Mm-hmm. He was just as elitist as anybody else. His problem wasn't that the church was elitist or had had denied this power to the common people. It was that they were fucking hypocrites and they were telling people they could buy their way into heaven. Now, when it came to like – once he had broken off and and started his movement, there was a popular uprising and people thought that he would be a champion of the common people against the aristocracy. And nope, he fell right in with the the elites. because uh, he he was just as authoritarian as the next guy in in that sense. Yeah. So so the Lutheran Church isn't all that different from the Roman Catholic Church, but the main difference is that it has no mystic uh, underbelly. There, mm. There's there's all of these. Uh, tradition you know all, all, all of these secret things literally occult the word occult means hidden mm-hmm. uh and uh they lost all of that occult knowledge uh and didn't even realize that it was gone because they never knew it had been there in the first place mm-hmm. and then the other protestant religions that split off from them for ever wackier reasons even lost the rituals that they had retained because they saw the the whole thing of having the priests need to moderate, you know, to, to do mass and all that as more control mm-hmm. from people who didn't really have anything to do with God. They were really working their way back to Gnosticism, mm-hmm. where you you had to have a personal revelation that that God could only reveal Himself to you, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that of course was completely yeah you know, th- th- whenever the gnostic heresy reared it said there was a massacre <laughs> because the, the church could not tolerate that yeah uh, yeah that that was that was like the most dangerous thing and so but the thing about gnosticism you know is is that it taught that the reason there was evil in the world is that god the father was either insane or evil uh-huh. And that the Holy Spirit was trying to rectify this and straighten the world out, and that Jesus's appearance uh, on Earth and his crucifixion was part of that strategy to try to straighten out what was wrong with the world. And in a lot of Gnostic sects, the teaching was that he failed. Yeah. So, uh, so this was the, the thing: is that Gnosticism solved the problem of evil, and this was a very powerful argument for it, and. Uh, so the Gnostic heresy kept reemerging every hundred or two hundred years throughout the entire Middle Ages, and you know Mark Twain, rap, you know, if, you, you can't read two pages from Mark Twain without him complaining about the Saint Bartholomew's Day massacre. Yeah, and what 
what a horrible, horrible thing this is for people to do. They're just like people, they they plotted in secret and then in concert on the same day, millions of them rose up and slaughtered their neighbors. Yeah. And, and Mark Twain spent half his life just going, this is more proof that the devil is, is right. You know, humans are not worth the effort. He just, <laughs> you know, to him, that was like the... The, the proof that humans just suck yeah and uh and the gnostic solved all, yeah but the thing is the gnostic solved the biggest problems that make christianity hard to swallow if you end up on the losing end of the stick of life mm-hmm. and uh but but and again the gnostics also had their their rituals and their big ritual was the epiphany of uh they didn't call it salvation it was the gnosis mm-hmm. but when you look at what the Baptists believe, they are really talking about the gnosis that you will be filled with the Spirit of of Christ or the Holy Spirit, and just like your ecstatic experience, mm-hmm. you will know that you have been touched by God. Okay. And at that point, that is your message that it is time to be baptized. Mm-hmm. That. You don't baptize babies because they don't know what the fuck is happening to them. That's stupid. But at the right time, God will tell you, okay, now you have received my essence. Now now you are with me. Now it is time to show the world. And that is what baptism is. So so that is like the one ritual you get to do when you're a Baptist. They also actually do a communion thing like four times a year, yeah. but uh, but but they don't use wine; they use grape juice. Yeah. Okay. Fair. <laughs> and, and so that actually is the end of my roundup. That that's sort of my overview of all things woo. That was beautiful. That was goddamn fucking beautiful. You're like uh, you're like Dan Carlin, the guy from Hardcore History, puts out all the shit for free. And it's kind of, it's why am I getting this for free? <laughs> that's that's what it feels. That's what my episodes with you feel like. I'm like, I'm just sitting here. I forget that I'm doing a podcast when I'm talking to you. I'm just like learning, and I'm like, oh, then I see like the little fucking icon in the top right corner that says recording. And I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> this is okay. Well, well, honestly, what I like about about it is that. Uh, you have a, an open mind, and you're you're willing to entertain this. And I know that there's a lot of differences between us because mm-hmm. you've mentioned that your politics lean to the right. Yeah. I lean very heavily to the left. Yeah. But we probably agree on more than we disagree about with politically. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I try and, to I make a point of that podcast. I try to have on people that though I didn't know shit about you, but I try to have on people that I disagree with because if I have on people that I agree with, we're not getting anywhere. We're just jerking each other off. So by having on people yeah. I disagree with, it forces me to open my mind. Because when I see that you're the author of my favorite book, and okay, we both have ecstatic experiences and all about woo, like, clearly, we are far more similar than we are unsimilar. So well, I have to draw the conclusion, just like my buddy Ernie, who, born in Mexico, worked for the Obama administration, worked in the Democratic Party of Georgia. When I have on people who clearly are the antithesis of my political views... But then I sit with Ernie and we, you know, we make stupid jokes for two hours about UFOs and dick jokes. And like, you know, we've been good friends since 2010. What both of these things do, Ernie, you, is I have to realize that if I am so similar and I and I with love and with respect and with humor, 
in so many ways except for one thing politics well then the only conclusion that can be is that mine are not objectively correct and yours are not objectively incorrect that we just agree to disagree and this podcast has helped me open my mind to just maybe it's not my cup of tea that doesn't mean it's wrong right yeah well if, if you think about it that is almost the political equivalent of the uh dichotomy that Robert Anton Wilson uh, paints as far as whether the world is uh, as the, is materialistic or woo, you know, it, it, it may be unknowable. I mean, you know, the, the way that, uh, you know, politics is an overarching thing that affects every aspect of human experience. Mm-hmm. And so there may be no correct answer. Mm-hmm. There may be elements of all these theories that are useful. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not a person who wants the stock market to fail or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just yeah. Because, uh, and but you know if you look at examples you can say well there's other countries that have made things work yeah that yeah socialized we could medicine. probably do better yeah uh, if if France can and, pull off socialized medicine or Britain can why the fuck can't we like that's one thing that yeah. I always say I'm like hey uh, I truly believe that we're in the best nation on earth that being said if they can do this why can't we do it fucking better <laughs> right. That's how I exactly. look at it. That's exactly. how I look if we're, at if we're, it. If we're all that, then why do we exactly. have so many people die in a COVID nineteen? Exactly. Issue? Exactly. If we can go to the moon, if we can have a military that can fuck everyone from across the ocean, then the way I look at it is like, <laughs> why don't we take healthcare as just the next challenge instead of saying we're not communists or we're not socialists? Why not look at it and go, we're going to have the best goddamn healthcare at the lowest possible price because we're America? Eagle scream, right? Like that, that's what that's how I look at it. I'm like nanotechnology for everybody radical life extension for everybody and let's do it in a way that only america can do it so i'm like that's how i try to look at stuff is like and and to do that you have to have an open mind you can't just say they're all wrong because where does that get me it gets me nowhere so it's and not only that the first person i voted for was barack obama when i was 18 the second person i voted for was mitt romney when i was in 2012 the third person i voted for was bernie sanders in the primary of 2016 my life went downhill and I moved home. I didn't vote in the presidential election. In this election, I'm leaning towards Trump, but I'm more leaning towards independent. So point being is I can't in good in good conscience look at anyone with a different belief than me because I have been on a different belief uh, platform depending on where I am in life. Am I uh, you know, an open-minded high schooler with no responsibilities? Am I working my ass off in college to get into med school? Am I dabbling heavily in psychedelics? Am I working on sobriety and personal therapy? Depending on where I am, and also depending on it being the north or the south or the rural or urban, my beliefs have changed. And it also depends on how long I've been there. So really, it's like an accent. I pick up different accents depending on where I live. So if I look at you, Roger, and you say you're more left, well, how the fuck do I know that if I hadn't been born in 64 and grown up in New Orleans a Baptist, I might be in lockstep with you? You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, more likely you would be a total nut job because most of the people that have my background are. <laughs> <laughs> well, point being, point being, though, right, is like you and I can sit here and with our episodes, I, yeah. I would say you and I are probably – our Venn diagrams are 99.999% overlapping, right? It's Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And so the, the only conclusion you can draw is if we're the same, but your your color is blue and mine is red, well, then the answer can't be that blue and red are objectively correct or incorrect. It's just that we're looking at the constellation from a different angle. You're seeing an elephant. 
I'm seeing the Big Dipper or whatever, right? It's that's yeah. But we're looking at the same stars. Yeah, our, our, our planets are in the same uh, uh, house. They're they're in the same uh, houses, but they're not in the uh, well. They're in the same signs, but they're not in the same houses. Yeah, that's what we're, I'm sure we're I'm looking saying. at the an analogy I always use is like liberals and conservatives like we're not separate we're both looking at the we're both at the base of a mountain and we're looking at the peak and the peak is safe places to raise your kids uh affordable health care and education low crime and strong borders and a good economy with opportunity for all some of us are looking at hey uh, i see a series of base camps that on the way to the left and some of us are going i'm looking at a series of base camps on the way to the right and we're arguing about different weather and b- different uh like snowshoe technology but we're both trying to go to the same fucking summit so it's like right you know just because someone else is just because they won the vote and now we are taking the right path or because now we are taking the left path dude we'll get on board and hope that it works because we all want to go to the same fucking summit right yeah. Well, yeah. we we just uh, neither of us wants the other to uh, send an avalanche our way by mistake or something. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's, so so we get in arguments about that. Yes. But, yes. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It, it's it, it, it's uh, and the thing is, the uh, there's a broad commonality there uh, with what normal people want, mm-hmm. but there is a sharp divide between what normal people want and what most wealthy and powerful people want. Yes, yes. And that's part of the problem. Yes. And 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 a big part of the problem was the invention of propaganda. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Edward Bernays, fuck you. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's why my, my major political belief now is that we just have to accelerate the creation of a hyper-intelligent AI and give it the reins. That's that's my new yes. that's my new belief. I'm like fuck it, let's create techno god and let it take control. So that, that's and my hope. It's prime intellect and not Skynet. Yeah, yeah. Well, either way, we'll fucking figure it out, right? We'll get it going, and if it's Skynet, then this whole shit show will be over, and we'll probably be put out of our misery. If it's prime intellect, Ace, utopia. Ace, Skynet unified the human race. Goddamn right it did. So hey, AI techno god 2020. <laughs> That's the, that's my standpoint, man. Above all else, I'm like fun DARPA, fun whoever the fuck is building this shit. Leave us in yeah. the leave us in the the past. It's time for a techno AI, and we just turn Earth into a utopian daycare where you can just trip <laughs> balls, fuck, eat, and live forever. Yeah, that 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 sounds totally like the platform of the Republican Party. Yeah, right. Yeah, really. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. Do yeah, yeah. It's, I know, right? It's fucking no. It's I will vote for whoever. It, uh, comes out and says that therefore the de- decriminalization of psychedelics I will drop all former arguments and I will get behind that candidate and I will go on a rampage every I'll put out 10 episodes a day backing that person so because that's what I think will lead to it but you know then again I am a psycho above my parents garage yelling at a screen so <laughs> you know t- take your advice with a grain of salt hey um all right. Well, I mean, uh, I've, I've done what I set out to accomplish here and appreciate the chance to uh, lay my uh, silly beliefs out and uh, not have them stomped on by people criticizing my ability to do math. And, hey, hey, well, it's, so. it's always a fucking pleasure. For, for one, I'd like them. You, I mean, like I told you, I meditate, dude. These aren't. But even if they weren't, even if I didn't believe in any of them at all. Yeah, I, like, I want to keep an open mind. I, I try to. Like, I think the only thing I won't have an open mind to is someone that comes on and tries to talk about like an Uber mention or Untermention. 
I'd be like, I'm not opening my mind to that asshole. But yeah. aside from that, well, it's it's one of the things that Robert Anton Wilson actually speaks to specifically for several chapters in his Cosmic Trigger books is that the problem with having an open mind is that people keep trying to fill it with garbage so you (laughs) have to also have a filter yes Um, and that's free will so yeah yeah so so you know and and even like uh some of the people that i read when i was studying the tarot would warn that there are people who fall into the trap of of not being willing to do anything before consulting the oracle Hmm. and most magical systems uh have a trap that you will be warned about where if you are too credulous and too stupid, then they will take you over and just fuck up your life. Mm-hmm. So the, the tarot is one of the nicer ones about that because it seems to have been designed as a teaching thing. But, but I was told of people who got into a, a, a wormhole where they, they, they wouldn't get out of bed in the morning without asking the, the cards. Mm-hmm. And boy, when, when you do that, then the, the entities just fuck with you because yeah. they can. It's yeah. just like, you know, because let's face it, if, if you if you look at the world from the standpoint of one of these uh, discorporate entities, if we assume that they exist, then what do they get out of answering our stupid questions through the divination device or fixing the randomness so that it favors us Mm -hmm. in in the real world and the big thing that they get is that we are alive in the world of form Mm -hmm. and And when they affect they are having an effect on the world by having an effect on our life yeah and and that may be a source of power to them in ways that we can hardly imagine because you know the whole thing is that the the model that I built implies that there is an extremely complex hierarchy of uh, of of, uh, basic, of objects and things, and some of which are active and sentient at the top, and most of which are just uh, ever more finer representations of physical things that interact with one another in certain ways. But uh, you know, so this is an entire ecosystem in which things hide like hackers mm-hmm. in in which they try to uh you know the the entity that is answering your questions is probably doing so to acquire some sort of power and in in this uh you know mainframe computer like structure mm. that we we can barely tell exists yeah so but the thing is you know the the way that i have looked at it is that you can't say that it really works that way because there is never any proof the reason there is never any proof is because if that is the case then powerful forces are working to make sure you can't ever prove anything yes yes it's but you can but you can apply the assumption and ask yourself if we Take the afternoon. I, I used to actually have a riff that I did you know, when, when I would talk about this shit. I would tell people, well, oh, yeah, uh, crystal power. I believe in that shit on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I don't believe in it on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And on weekends, I'm agnostic. <laughs> but, yeah, it's – one thing I think about is like, is like proxy wars. Think like Cold War proxy wars, right? 
Like we don't give mm-hmm. a we don't give a fuck about what's actually going on in in Korea, but we're gonna go drop the full force of the U.S. military to combat the the communists. Yeah, uh, Russia or the, or even China now with the Belt and Road Initiative, they don't give a fuck about your your fucking African nation. But you got ports and you got access to rare earth metals or cobalt or whatever, so they're coming uh-huh. there. Who's to say that yep. that that this interaction isn't the same thing as like uh, like a CIA asset? Okay, we can't get to North Korea, but what if we can uh, win over a diplomat or a high level general? Right? What if they can't come into the corporeal, the physical four dimensional reality, but they can manipulate through, you know, you got the rays or you got the internet connection, right? Or whatever. Mm-hmm. That is, oh, that, that, yeah. If, if, if you follow that, that, that's that side of the rabbit hole or, you know, then yes, that's exactly where it leads. That's the only, there has to be some motivation mm-hmm. because consciousness does not do things for no reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there has to be, you know, it's like we do things because we get hungry, because we need to, to shelter, because we need, we have all of these things that we need to survive. And so we have to provide for them. And so that motivates us to do shit in the world, you know, because if we don't do shit, it's going to hurt. Yeah. So, you know, we're going to feel things we don't want to feel. This is yeah. this is the fundamental way that it works. So if you but if you ask yourself, what does a discorporate entity if, if, if there is if, if, if it's somebody, you know, if it's an ancestor's soul, I mean, really, one of the richer uh, expositions of this is the way like the day of the dead world of the afterlife mm-hmm. that. Uh, a lot of the rural, you know, the Mexicans mm-hmm. uh, like that was in the movie Coco. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Now that's probably not literally the way that it works, but it's an elegant expression of a way that it might work, where this is what they get out of this interaction with the the real world is that you know that contact with beings that are alive mm. gives them power. Mm. Because what you touch, you know, it's like, hey, uh, law of contagion, what you touch influences you. So maybe that's, you know, doing something, you know, know, just having an interaction with a being that has a real existence in the world of form may give them power uh, for themselves. It may protect their existence for a bit uh, or give, you know, give give them some, uh, you know, way to uh, maybe defend themselves uh, if the watchers come around at the yeah. wrong time. They can associate themselves with something that's real, yeah. and they're supposed to be here for yeah. a while. So, yeah, and 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 again, you know, it's like a skeptic would go, "Man, you would just drop kicked the you know Occam's razor into fucking low Earth orbit." <laughs> <laughs> but it's I I don't think it's like when when you take any but, but um, I, yeah sorry go on. I think it's a re- I think it's a reasonable extrapolation, though. I think if if you say let us take the this idea, there are basically only two ideas here. Either all this shit works, and if it does, it all works. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's no world where uh, Penny Amancy works, but the tarot doesn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's it's like this this there's a broad commonality there between the way all forms of divination and magic work. Yeah. So it you know, and even religion. You know, like I said, religion is just formalized group magic. Yeah. Um, so if magic works, then the universe has to permit to this. Mm-hmm. And that implies certain characteristics the universe has to have. And when you start asking serious questions about how this would really work, then 
it actually is possible to narrow things down an awful lot if you look at how uh, – and we wouldn't have been able to do this before the 1980s because I think before chaos theory, we probably wouldn't have been able to conceive of of the thing. I, I, I was really lucky that while I was studying all this and doing these we were also discovering fractals and chaos theory and a lot of people criticize chaos theory because it doesn't predict anything useful mm-hmm. and the most important thing about chaos theory isn't that it predicts something useful it is it's that it describes how the universe can look the way it does without the influence of a god mm-hmm. because it didn't have to be designed it describes exactly how a random system that is constructed just the right way could end up looking like the real world does yeah and that was something we didn't have before 1985 yeah yeah so for thousands for thousands of years this is why it made sense that obviously god if he created the universe must be this really fantastic guy who understands everything because otherwise he would have botched it right yeah yeah but what chaos theory says is that no, you this could have all come about under the influence of random forces as long as they have certain characteristics. And it turns out that those particle laws that the physicists think guide the swarm of particles has those characteristics that make it a chaotic system. Mm-hmm. So we don't need God. Yeah. The yeah. universe could just look the way it does because random shit. Yeah, I have. And sorry, go on. Yeah, and we and we had no model for that before the mid nineteen eighties. Um, so you were about to say something. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, I had two notes, but one I remember chaos theory. I just remember that from Goodwill Hunting when he was interviewing with the NSA. But I had two notes. Um about why this would happen the uh, proxy wars cold war proxy wars this might just be like interdimensional or higher dimensional proxy wars and i thought of two other ones one might be why is it doing this it might be it might be it might not be that it's um ulterior motive or uh, it's all game like a house of a uh, game of thrones right it might be that it's just the same thing as a parent raising a child or a person like with a dog what why are they doing that it might just be love right it might not need to be anything more than you know why do you do this for your wife or your daughter or your whatever your dog and it, it might just be like they might just get love out of it you know it might be it, it could be that and then a third possibility is i mean you really gotta take a bong rip for this one is what if what if they what if it's just reciprocal what if our magic is their divination and their divination is our magic like what if they think we're gods and we think they're gods and both have no idea how the other works but we're able to somehow influence each other's realities like they're yeah, well that that is <laughs> that that is a totally consistent thing yeah. to uh uh I, I mean, actually, if that's the case, then we created them. Or they created us. Or we could just be the Yeah. Yeah, well, actually, if the uh, 
if if you take my object model that mm-hmm. was my my first stab then it means that if there are these discorporate entities then uh we were created you know when when you're born for the most part that's the re- that that is a natural phenomenon mm-hmm. they might regard that as a miracle okay you know the create the creation of a of a conscious entity uh that uh has all of this power in the world of form uh yeah, yeah. but that they don't and and if they can influence or, or or ride the coattails of one of these godlike you know to them godlike beings because our existence is not constantly under threat by the watchers that yeah. uh, think we don't belong, yeah, you know, because we do belong. So if they can schmooze us, mm-hmm. they can maybe acquire a patina of belonging because they, you know, they're they're part of us. Yeah, or and to a and to another thing is like we might create literally create them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know that uh, the people who practice the the both the tarot and the I Ching have a sense that those the entity that is answering your questions was created. Mm. That, it, that it that it is not uh, Uncle Bob, mm. uh, but that that it is an entity that was created as a thought form with a purpose. As I said, the purpose of the tarot is to teach and to guide you into a, a more intuitive understanding, to the point where you wouldn't need the cards. And mm. it was it was created and shaped with that intent. Whereas the E Kings guiding consciousness was created with the intent of preserving things and preventing or avoiding or at least being warned of change so that you can jump the fuck out of the way before the train hits you yeah and that's reflected in their personalities that was our experience of dealing with them in a subjective way uh but we were told about both entities by different uh people that oh yes yeah well this is you know the the oracle was you know the was created by humans hmm. now that that might be the the way that i model that is that consciousness you know obviously your soul your consciousness might be an object that could persist or be copied uh independent of your existence as the living being but it could also be that consciousness is such a standard thing that there are so many of because I think that consciousness has existed for a very, very long time. Yeah. Far, long, long, long beyond before humans were here to sharpen it to the degree we have. Uh, and so it may just be a standard thing, uh, you know, like a module that you can pull off the shelf and start plugging the different properties you want it to have into it and punch the button and boom, boom. it springs to life. Yeah. Or the complexity so, theory, any, yep. any significantly complex grouping of matter will, like, it will have higher consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, except in this case, there's no matter involved because all the matter has been abstracted out, and we're talking about a data system that dwarfs anything humans could ever hope to build ourselves within this universe. Yeah. Because this is a data system that is the universe. Yeah. I mean, this is the ultimate, uh, you know, uh, artificial. Uh, oh shit! Um, virtual reality system. Only it's not virtual. It's 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 re- it's it's reality. Reality. Yeah, it's it's. But yeah, it's the idea that the it, spiritual universe is like a hundred trillion raised to the hundred trillionth power, bigger than the physical universe. 
Yeah. Actually, it's more like it would be the other way around, that if the universe was made out of subatomic particles, it would be that hundred trillion trillion times bigger than what the universe really is because it's taken all these shortcuts. Mm -hmm. Just like your video game console doesn't bother representing the, the world you're playing and as yeah. a bunch of particles swarming around. Uh, so the universe has learned to do this, but it does it really smoothly yeah. because this is this is a much better computer than any of the ones down at best buy yeah um yeah and 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 so we don't realize that it's a simulation we we are told a story about what it is just as when you uh open a uh, open video game and you start running around this virtual universe shooting at things there is a part of you to whom that feels real mm -hmm. it's a natural experience mm -hmm. that's why you do it mm -hmm. okay now you can tell it's not quite as good as real reality, yeah. but it gets better every time they improve things. You yeah. know, it's like the resolution and the frame rate improve and the physics engine gets better. Well, what we're living in is that perfected. Yeah. And that's also what that's also what's in prime intellect after the change is that perfected. Mm -hmm. It's not really the universe it appears to be it's not made of all these particles anymore yeah. it's made of objects that are uh that have that have been analyzed by a process that determines what this swarm of particles does on aggregate and is now just simulating it yeah but it's but it's also smart enough to tell you just aimed an electron microscope at this motherfucker we got to put yeah. in some atoms and molecules here so that it'll look right on the cameras and the reason that it happens is because conscious entities are evaluating what the result of this interaction will be. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that quantum mechanics, you know, that physicists don't want to say about the collapse of the state vector. Mm -hmm. a, lot, a lot of ink has been spilt trying to explain why the state vector collapses without invoking pixies and fairies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it because is, yeah, they really it, don't have anything else yeah, right now. Just it's just it's saving processing power. Yeah. Now, my personal favorite uh, theory about that uh, in 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 a, in a middle ground, and it, it has wonderful, uh, wonderfully perverse implications for quantum computing, is that the collapse of the state vector vector is triggered when the computing requirements get too great <laughs> to maintain coherence. Okay. So that could, yeah. Okay. So more people doing more complex things, and it's like, no, -uh, we can't have all of it. Well, it's like the uh, you, you know when you're maintaining coherence, then you have to keep track of every possible event that could occur with every interaction that might occur in every state, and that snowballs. Yeah. You know, and they use that in the idea of a quantum computer is that you use that Multiple to states. analyze a whole shitload of things in parallel. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the universe will let, it's, it's like taking, you know, I, I, I read the analogy once about, you know, parallel computing. It's like if you've got a billion straws and you need to figure out which one is the longest, mm -hmm. one way is to pick them up one at a time, measure them, put them back and remember which one is the longest mm -hmm. 
that's the way most computers work now. But an alternate way is to put them all in a big holder and slam them against the moon and see which one sticks up highest. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what quantum computing wants to be. Jesus. That, that's that's the so that'll probably be the okay well that can be another episode but that will probably be what's going to get us through because aren't we approaching well actually we'll save this for another episode but aren't we approaching the limits of moore's law and haven't we been for a while well like i said before i think that there is a shoe waiting to drop and that shoe will probably be carbon okay instead of silicon uh, because uh, now, now that I, in fact, I saw an article just this week that was talking about graphene oh. uh, instead of instead of diamond. Think uh, uh, glass. So, That's one. It, so it may. One. Yeah. So it may be graphene instead of diamond, but everything suggests that carbon semiconductors will be a thousand times faster and more efficient than silicon semiconductors. Mm. And that's a thing that can be modeled uh, in simulation atomically to say, yes, we will have much higher frequencies, much lower power dissipation. The problem is fabricating things that use this atomic, you know, these atomic structures. And I, I have a feeling that uh, we are we are homing in on this because right now we're in, in, in an age it's like yeah i know you you sent me uh, a link to an article about putting like the cooling micro channels in, mm. in the chips mm. and that's an incremental thing yeah. you know that's that's not a fundamental improvement paradigm shift yeah a fundamental improvement is like going from vacuum tubes to transistors okay and we are due for, you know a fundamental improvement is going from transistors to integrated circuits Okay. which makes things a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand times denser. We are running up against the limits of what can be done with silicon integrated circuits. So and coming. Yeah, I think the next thing is is the suggestion has been with the with the graphene things is that the features can be ten times smaller. Uh, the power dissipation will be a thousand times smaller. The frequencies will be ten to a hundred times higher. So you will have, you know, right now you've got your computer has a chip that's probably about one to two square centimeters mm -hmm. as it's as it as its CPU generates when it when it's really ham. If you're gaming, that sucker is probably generating 50 watts of, of heat. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so you probably have a nice little way. Yeah, yeah. You meant, in fact, I know you mentioned having your, your MacBook get warm on you Fan, yeah. uh, last I, time we I talked. fans all uh, around. I keep a thermo. I have a little vacuum temperature thing right next to it. I keep it cool. I, I try to, yeah. So we're talking about a physical technology that is physically possible with physics that exists now. What we don't have is fabrication technology that meets those limits. And I suspect we will get one because there's another interesting thing that I took note of when I started looking into Wu, mm -hmm. which is if you look at the early history of space travel, there's a pattern of our first attempt to do things failing mm -hmm. badly. Mm -hmm. And then of uh, our first attempt that succeeds being really boring and uninteresting and discouraging 
And then finally, we keep plugging at it and get the spectacular mission that is just fucking incredible and changes our whole view of the solar system and the universe. Mm -hmm. This happened with the moon. It happened very spectacularly with Mars Mm -hmm. because the first first Mars flybys just plain failed. Mm -hmm. The first Mars flyby that actually returned video, returned video that looked so much like the moon that it discouraged everybody. It's like, oh, man, this shit again. (laughs) But then finally we kept sending shit out. And so finally we had – Rovers. The I think it you know you know the the first orbiter and it was like okay it turned out that part of Mars that the first flyby had had damaged is like the most boring part of the planet. Yeah. Every part of the planet is more interesting than that part was. And if you look at it on the simulation theory, it's like maybe okay humans can't you know nobody is looking at these planets they're dead planets nobody cares about them so we're not really keeping them up to any high precision or anything no high resolution but then we start sending fucking probes out there looking at them close it's like oh this is this is not gonna go this one's we're just a bat this one away this one's not gonna work yeah to keep fucking sending them all right have some pictures, All right. dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look at these boring ass pictures that look just like the moon. Yeah, fuck and then off. Finally, the entities realize, ah, oh, fuck. They're gonna keep they're doing gonna keep... this. We got to draw some damn pictures. Yeah. And so, so what happens then is not only do we get all these spectacular pictures, but those probes like last ten times longer than they're expected to because it's like. Whatever's doing this is like, God damn it, I spent all this effort making these pictures. You're going to fucking you, see some of this detail gonna, that I went to this trouble to make. You're going to fucking enjoy this dinner I cooked. <laughs> yeah, it's well, – well, So yeah. this happened several times in yeah. the exploration of the solar system. That pattern has been repeated. Do you think now, that's why that Voyager 2 is dying? <laughs> do you think that's why Voyager 2 is dying? Because it's like, fuck off. You do not get the – you don't get interstellar space yet. Finish your planets. Finish your dinner that I've made for you. No, Voyager 2 is dying because we sent it out with a nuclear reactor that had a fixed lifespan and it's ending. I mean, that's that's physics. Yeah. That's it doing exactly what it was designed to do, best case scenario. Okay. But, uh, but what I'm talking about is like Odyssey lasting – 10 fucking years on the surface of Mars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it, it's like the, it, these, these things is like now that, now that, okay, they've gotten interested in making this a real environment. Damn it. We're going to get to experience this real environment because they've actually put some fucking effort into it. Well, um, did I tell you who's, who's coming on October 8th, Thursday? Rob, I know you told me who you were trying to yeah. get. Well, I, he, I got confirmation. Rob Manning, the chief engineer for the Mars Curiosity rover. Ooh. Yeah. So that's I'm fucking. I'm way out of my league with that one. So I'm. <laughs> I've listened to. I'm on my third listen through of his book. I'm gonna try to get it in two more times. But yeah. Um. But yeah. It, but it does. It does seem like it's like just listening to his book. It's like yeah, we're sending these supercomputers over. The, yeah, the simulation, the admins are just like, fuck it. You know what? Here's a planet. Here's a fully rendered planet, assholes. Right? It's like, come enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, that's what it seems like. 
So yeah, it, it, and and of course it's like I just, I, yeah, I I I just drop kicked Occam, Occam's razor into Earth, or, you know, in yeah. orbit around the sun. But yeah. uh, if you, I think that it is useful. Part of part of the thing is most people don't separate the possibilities. So yeah, you just drop kick Doctor Occam's razor into orbit around the sun, but. I also accept the the possibility slash likelihood that this is all just an, an illusion that I'm perceiving this, sure. you know, with seeing, patterns that aren't there. Seeing patterns, um, yeah. You know, and, and now that's very disturbing itself because it suggests that human consciousness is far more defective than we think it is. But that's another story. Yeah. Uh, How would the but, defective consciousness realize it's defective? Right. It's, yeah. So yeah. that's that's a that's a that that that's a big problem. Is is that why do so many people find this stuff so compelling? Uh, and that's a thing the skeptics really keep their mouth shut about. Mm-hmm. You cannot get them to fucking address that at all. Uh, and and they love to use the word subconscious. Is is like yeah, man. The subconscious is like there's fucking universes in that subconscious thing. When if you if you if you nail them down hard enough on it. Yeah. Uh, but if you separate it and say okay. Let's just say the woo is real. Mm-hmm. What does that imply? Yeah. It, 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 it. Just forget the whole idea that the universe is consistent at all. Mm-hmm. Now, we have to account for the fact that it looks consistent. Mm-hmm. Just like if we assume the universe is consistent, we have to account for the fact that we consciously seem to see woo everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, we see consistent woo. And the and and the two things is it's like it's like an almost symmetrical problem, because if the universe is completely consistent, it's made of all these particles. Then the fact that humans so consistently see woo is a problem. Yeah. But if the universe is simply lying to us about everything, that solves the human seeing woo problem because the woo is real. But then we have to start asking. What kind of universe allows this? Yeah, and we have to admit that it's not a universe that gives a shit about consistency at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's and and that opens it up though because then you can start to say, all right, and, and of course my model is computer-like because I'm a computer guy, but really that is a is a thing that was almost inconceivable before 1985 when we started to under i mean chaos theory is a thing that was inconceivable without computer models mm-hmm. it was it was it's not and a lot of the new a lot of mathematical gains that have been made in the last 35 years have been uh it would have been impossible without computers mm-hmm. so com, you know computers are a very new thing they are really a new thing uh and they're they are as new as the calculus was in the 1700s. Yeah. And that I think that there is is a sense there where we're not really following the math. Uh, you know, there's probably a James Clerk Maxwell moment waiting to be had. Yeah. Uh, do you know that story about the about how where Maxwell's equations came from? No. Okay. So in eighteen the 1840s. Uh, we understood electricity and uh, that electricity could exert forces on like, things like pith balls, and it followed certain equations that, that could be modeled. And we knew about magnetism mm-hmm. and that it 
did certain things. And we also knew by that time that a changing electric field could generate a magnetic field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the moving but, magnetic yeah. charges could generate a magnetic field. We knew yeah. by how much. Yeah. And we had a, we had an equation. We had a constant that described how much electric field movement would generate so much magnetism. Mm-hmm. And we knew that a changing magnetic field could generate an electric field. Yeah. And we had a con- and this was all done by things like moving wires around compasses and shit. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's uh, flux. It's it, the isn't it? The, it's the theta symbol. Isn't it flux? Yeah. Yeah. It, exactly. And so all this had been worked out on just like really basic physical experiments, uh, and no one knew quite what it meant. But also the speed of light had been measured two mm-hmm. different ways. Uh, there was an astronomical observation of the moons of Jupiter because at this time the scale of the, uh, of the solar system was known because they also knew the, uh, the gravitational constant. So they knew what the Earth weighed. Mm-hmm. That meant they knew what the sun weighed. They knew mm-hmm. what all the planets, uh, how much they weighed. They knew what Jupiter weighed. They knew uh, because of its its worlds. They knew how far away it was. And so uh, by careful observation, they were able to tell that at different times of the year, when we were closer or further away from Jupiter, that the moons looked like they were in different places. Mm-hmm. And this suggested a value for the speed of light mm-hmm. because – Light obviously had to be reflected off the moons and come to the Earth. And so this difference gave us a value. And that gave us the ability to frame an experiment on the surface of the Earth that uh, we because we knew about what the likely value might be. And so they were able to arrange a direct measurement on the surface of the Earth of the speed of light. But no one knew what light was. Mm. It was it was it was a mystery. So James Clerk Maxwell, the most unknown, you know, the the, the, the most uh, unknown physicist who really should have been famous because he is as great as Einstein or any of the other guys yeah. as far as the history of science. He does a thought experiment in the 1840s and asks himself, if I stand on the roof of my house and I wave a charged particle up and down, okay, it's moving. Mm-hmm. So that means it's going to create a magnetic field mm-hmm. because a moving charge creates a magnetic field. But the magnetic field that it creates will also be changing. Creating and so it. it'll generate a, it'll yeah. generate an electric field, which is moving and changing. Yeah, right. So this will generate a wave that propagates through space. Uh... And he asks himself, well, if I manage to make a wave like this, how fast would it go? Well, they have the, the constants for the permittivity and all. And so he writes these equations that became Maxwell's equations and solves them. And the value he gets for the speed that this wave would have is almost is to within the error brackets what they've measured for the speed of light. Okay. And that is the moment we, we discovered that light is electromagnetic radiation. Ah, uh, okay. Now, at the time, we had no way to prove this. It would be 40 years before Hertz came along and proved that electromagnetic waves really existed. And other evidence would start to accumulate that light was also electromagnetic waves. Mm -hmm. But it was Maxwell 
40 years before with no fucking direct evidence at all because he did a thought experiment that he just asked himself, if I wave a charge up and down, what's yeah. it going to do? It's going to make a wave. How, well, how fast is this wave going to... Oh, my God, it's the same as the speed of light. <laughs> well, that's suggestive. And the funny thing is, the same physicist who jumped on that and said, wow, we just discovered something, would be the first to say, well, just because of the stuff you look observed with your Wu experiment doesn't mean anything. <laughs> God damn it. The, yeah, the hypocrisy again. But that... Uh, I, I've, I've loved that story because it's the, the whole thing of, of the the undiscovered nature of it and then it just comes out of nowhere the yeah. answer to this fundamental question about reality is just suddenly in just, your face pops yeah it's like it's like staring at an optical illusion and then after 10 minutes you see the, the face of the woman but it's been there right. the whole time yeah and, and and so it was like i mean i love shit like that that yeah. that that is where science really shines yeah in stories like that yeah uh but i also feel like there are more moments like that waiting to be had oh there are infinite moments i don't think you don't that's that's is that that's what i think the next paradigm is going to be for all right fuck we're going to save that for the next episode <laughs> Is is how do yeah, we've we been at this what about two and a half hours now? We are at two fifty two. This is a record for you and I. Let's um yeah. well the Wednesday slot, the Wednesday evening slot is yours. I have now pounded that into the schedule. So I think we need to do uh or you're the computer scientist. Let's go t what what is gonna push through uh Moore's law or what is quantum computing or carbon carbon chips or no, I think I think I think it's going to be carbon. Okay. I, I I'm very skeptical of quantum because I have a bad feeling that the universe is going to tell us that the reason the state factor collapses is the computational requirements become too great okay. to maintain coherence. Okay. Well, regardless, that's going to be next Wednesday's episode. Is how do we punch through the the yeah, the current. Yeah, because yeah. we're coming. We're That's coming. Assume, assuming that we can manage to get in, in touch next Wednesday. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Well, you know what? This works. So if worse comes to worse, this works. I prefer video, yeah. but this does work. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. if you if you've got the video of you reacting to me, then yeah, yeah. that's pretty good because there's plenty of interviews that are given where the the interviewer is in video, but the correspondent is, is in Kuwait or something on the the fucking satellite phone. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, we we can play it that. Way. We'll have something. I mean, Regardless, uh, we got something. I mean, I'll works. let you, I'll let you know if there's something I really think that your your viewers should see. I mean, there was nothing really important this sure. time. Sure. Uh, in fact, there usually won't be because the you know yeah we're we're doing like idea guy things yeah. here. Well, fuck, dude. Next week, punch through the the coming punch through the seeming wall of Moore's law we're approaching. But oh. yeah. Uh, it's, all right we're at two, more, more's law we're coming for you more's law we're coming for you you stupid bastard <laughs> sleep with one eye open or one and one half eye open or whatever the fuck you do every 18 months we're <laughs> we're at two minutes and 54 minutes on the nose and i gotta go get some fucking food <laughs> it is it was sunny when i started it's black now but Fuck yeah. yeah. Beautiful episode, Roger. Thank you, as always. I'm in the central time zone. is black here, too. Yeah. 
Well, <laughs> apparently we both feel the need to bring race into this, so. <laughs> but Roger Williams, author of The Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, thank you for coming on, sir. Always a pleasure. I always love to, like you said, keep my mind open, and I like to continually learn. And if worse comes to worse, we just end up bullshitting anyway. It's always a pleasure. The Wednesday night slot is yours, sir. So next weekend, we're cracking the problem of more slot. Or at least or at least in our minds, we're cracking it. To everyone else, who are these two unhinged fucking morons yelling at a screen? But, Occam's Razor is in fucking interstellar space now. Occam, Occam's Razor just passed Voyager <laughs> with two middle fingers up and a bumper sticker that said, ask, grass or crack, whatever the fuck the saying is. Fuck it, I need some food. I got my glucose levels real well. Roger Williams, thank you, sir. I was, I'll email you. But uh, 5 p.m. Central and 6 p.m. Eastern. We'll see you next Wednesday. Yep. All right, buddy. Take it easy. Bye. Peace. <laughs>